History of a Haunting is proud to be a sponsor of the 2022 Dirt Days Festival in Williamson, West Virginia. One of Coal Country's largest off-road festivals takes over the city of Williamson every year on the last weekend of April. Thousands of riders invade the valley to take in the Hatfield-McCoy trails and more. If you love mud, trail riding, and great times with friends, Dirt Days is for you. Some of the festival highlights for 2022 include over 500 miles of riding on the Hatfield-McCoy trail system, as well as additional trails in the Pike and Martin counties in Kentucky. There's going to be vendors, awesome local food, parade, mud pit, dirt drag racing, live music, photography-based poker run, and a fireworks show. If you plan to attend, we recommend that you pre-register for Dirt Days. From now until April 13th, registration is only $50, and it includes an official Dirt Days goodie bag, a festival t-shirt, and a festival decal, Hatfield McCoy Trails event wristband, and that gives you access to every Hatfield McCoy Trail system, and it's only good for April 28th through May 1st. You get a 2022 Hatfield McCoy Buffalo Mountain, Devil Ants, and Rock House Trail Maps, a Mud Pit Dirt Drag Area Armband, three $5 food vouchers, official sponsor list, official event schedule, and various goodies from the sponsors, such as your very own HOAH koozie. That's really the only reason that you guys need to be attending the event, so that you can have our koozie. To register, go to visitcoalcountry.org, and for more information, check out their official Facebook page, Dirt Days. Let's get dirty. How are we? I don't know how we are. I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing great. I've been a little harried. Got a lot of, we got a lot of double recordings going on. And so I'm trying to make sure that, you know, all the overlays and everything are set for all the different recordings that we're doing because someone's going on vacation again. And um, yeah, so. (laughs) Um, That would be you. (laughs) St. Albans. That's next Friday. You're leaving oh, okay. this Friday. Yeah, well, you're still going on vacation too. Well, I mean, is a paranormal investigation a vacation? I think so. <laughs> That's your idea of a good time. That's my idea of a good time. Anyway, hi guys. Welcome to History of a Haunting. I'm Carrie. And I'm Laura. And we have a very, very special episode uh, for you this week. Super excited. We have a very special guest host. You've probably seen the promos, and we're going to be bringing him on uh, a little later. He's actually going to be doing my part of the episode today. So I don't have any EVPs. We've got our new promos going. You guys heard our Dirt Days promo before uh, the intro in the beginning of this episode. And um, that's really all I have. Laura, do you have anything for as far as EVPs? Should I put up the little... EVP thing? <laughs> I don't. I don't have anything. Um, so that I'm was a waste of an overlay? Um, it sure was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I am excited uh, for this episode and for uh, David. Yeah. So, yeah. That'd be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So he's uh, waiting in the wings and um, 
We will uh, bring him on as soon as we possibly can. In the meantime, guys, we've pretty much already said it. We are going to be talking to you today all about the Omen House. So, Laura, sweet pea, take it away with your sources. All right, my sources for today are Vox.com, articles by Alyssa Wilkinson, and another by A. Romero, uh, Wikipedia.org, Britannica.org, and VelvetRopes.com. Yay! <laughs> Yay for sources. Yay for sources! Um, so today, um, I'm going to talk to you guys about the true crime history aspect of the Omen House. So, and that is... The Tate Murders. The Sharon Tate Murders, yes. The Sharon Tate Murders. Yes. So, um, I'm sure most of you kind of know the story, at least a little bit of it. Yeah. Um, so, we're going to give you kind of an abridged version uh, to give you an idea of what transpired. Yes. But if you okay. want in-depth true crime stories, join us on Patreon because we bring those every month. We hey, sure do. Shameless and plug. And do we bring them. <laughs> and do we bring them. <laughs> Yes, we really do. <laughs> We're, I think I'm. I know I'm really enjoying it. I think you are too. I really am. Yeah. So this is Laura's going to be giving you a little teaser true crime. I guess so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So when five people were murdered at Sharon Tate's house on the night of August eighth and 9th in nineteen sixty nine, the reverberations went far beyond the elite Hollywood community of which she was part. They were felt far beyond Los Angeles too. By that fall. When police connected the murders and those of Lino and Rosemary LaBianca the following night to Charles Manson and his cult-like family, Manson was well on his way to infamy, becoming a murderous icon and a symbol of an age. Similarly, the murders would for many feel like the definitive end of the 1960s and the optimism that went along with it. Um, As June Didion wrote in her essay, The White Album, Many people I know in Los Angeles, quote, sorry, many people I know in Los Angeles believe that the 60s ended abruptly on August 9th, 1969, ended at the exact moment when word of the murders on Cielo Drive traveled like brush fire through the community. And in a sense, this is true. The tension broke that day. The paranoia was fulfilled, end quote. Yeah. And it just got fucking worse from there. It sure did. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Um, The ritualistic nature of the killing set the stage for the rise of satanic panic, a phenomenon that never went fully away. And Manson continues to loom large in the cultural imagination, even 50 years after the murders and years after his own death. Mm -hmm. Um, So how did we get to that fateful night? Um, Let's go back to the beginning. Um, Charles Manson was born on November 12th in 1935 in Ohio. His mother, Catherine Maddox, was a teen. Charles' biological father abandoned her before the baby's birth. She then married William Manson shortly before the baby was born and soon started calling her son Charles Miles Manson after her new husband. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that wasn't even his, well, you know, his father's name. Didn't he go by, like, for a while until she met this guy or and he was just sort of kind of known as no-name Maddox? Or is that a name that he had adopted later or... No, his mom was she very just didn't never gave him a name. mother. Yeah, she like almost okay. didn't even give him a name for a while. Yeah, okay, that's true. Enjoy that. All right. Um, again, Reader's Digest version. So, <laughs> uh, Manson grew up with his mother's relatives in an allegedly neglectful and abusive environment. 
By age 13, he had begun committing various petty crimes, including robbery. And in 1949, he was detained at the Indiana Boys School, where he endured sexual assault and abuse. Over a period of several escape attempts and transfers to numerous juvenile centers, he began committing violent sexual assaults on the other boys and was ultimately transferred to the Ohio Federal Reformatory in 1952. Mm. When he was 19 years old in 1954, Manson was released to his aunt and uncle in West Virginia, and for a brief time he appeared to settle down, marrying and moving to Los Angeles. Ah. But Manson continued to commit crimes, and in 1957, he was sentenced to 30 years in the Los Angeles prison, during which his wife filed for divorce. Um, The decade spanning 1957 to 1967 was turbulent for Manson. He spent much of it in a cycle of suspended sentences, probation violation, and imprisonment. He became a pimp, was briefly married to a sex worker, and began exploring ways to achieve Hollywood fame. Not that he, he, ugh, he married a sex worker, but ugh, he was a pimp. Yeah. Well, it, those skills, you know, later came in handy. Right. Uh, for, yeah. For what he did with the family. Yeah, so, that's true. Um, he did take guitar lessons, though according to one producer who would later attempt to work with him, he was an, quote, unmitigated disaster. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <Paid careful. laughs> right. Wow. He paid a care- careful attention to the Beatles, uh, developed ambitions of becoming a singer-songwriter, and attempted to gain insider connections to film studios. Meanwhile, he carefully studied religion as a tool of control and manipulation, especially Scientology, along with social engineering. He also sought the advice of other career criminals, including pimps who taught him techniques for successfully coercing and breaking down the resistance of women under his control. Jesus. Yeah. It was very calculating. Yeah. Um, Yeah, he really was. After his prison release in 1967, Manson moved to San Francisco, the center of the countercultural revolution. Yeah. Uh, the post-prison world he walked into was a new one, awash with hippies who openly rejected social norms and formed idyllic enclaves, ostensibly free of restrictions and taboos. Yeah. But Manson exploited the drug-happy, free-willing g- goodwill of the era by bonding with his would-be followers and then luring them into manipulative relationships. Okay. Um, he traveled throughout California, approaching young women in San Francisco's Golden Gate Park, as well as Los Angeles's Venice Beach, presenting himself as a religious figure and urging them to follow him by surrendering their identities to him completely. His follower count grew, and in the fall of 1967, Manson packed up the family and moved them to Los Angeles toward his dreams of Hollywood stardom. Yeah. What is it? My yeah. favorite murder says you're in a cult. Go call your dad. <laughs> <laughs> 100%. So in Hollywood, Manson began to work with his music industry connections. He was soon making inroads with music producers and actors. By far, Manson's most valuable connection, however, was one he made through two of his female cult members while they were hitchhiking. Okay. Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys. Ugh. Yeah. If you, Manson, most people have regrets in their life. Mm-hmm. But that dude, you know, has like all the regrets. Um, he really to. did, and they say it really contributed to his downturn. Um, really, yeah. After Manson, and he was long disconnected from Manson when the murders and and the stuff came out. Yeah, but because he was associated so strongly with Manson, um, yeah, I think his he was really um, he felt a lot of guilt. I think and. 
Yeah. He was really upset, according to what people say, and yeah, yeah. that didn't help his slide into alcoholism and drug abuse. I don't doubt it. No. Yeah. So um, Manson was especially successful in manipulating Wilson. Throughout 1968, Wilson allowed Manson and the family to live in his house on Sunset Boulevard and let Manson, lent Manson hundreds of thousands of dollars to help him record an album. Oh, yeah, my God. In exchange for sexual gratification for Manson's female followers. Wilson's That had to be finally, some damn good sex. Hundreds of thousands of dollars? Yeah. That's a lot of money. Um, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Wilson's manager finally evicted the family in August of 1968. <laughs> uh, they ended up at Spawn Movie Ranch, a popular site for filming westerns, where once again Manson traded the sexual favors of his female followers to the ranch's owner in exchange for free room and board. And the guy was like 90 years old and blind. Super old. Yeah. 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 Um, and one of the girls kind of lived with him all the time and like took care of him and... Yeah, I can't remember what her name was. Mary something, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, So Wilson tried to promote Manson's music and even convinced the Beach Boys to record one of Manson's songs. Oh. He also introduced Manson to Terry Melcher, the son of Doris Day. I didn't know he was the son of Doris Day. Yes. Huh. Okay, sorry. Um, Yeah, although Melcher was a record producer... um, he put off the issue of whether he would sign Manson. Um, he did stay friendly with the family. Um, during this time, Melcher also dated up-and-coming Hollywood star Candace Bergen. I did who know was that. renting a house at 150 Cielo, Cielo Drive. Yeah. Yeah, Murphy Brown. Murphy Brown. Murphy Brown. Young Murphy Brown. Um, as a result of Melcher's, Melcher's delay over signing Manson to a record deal... The relationship between Wilson and Manson began to sour. Mm. As Wilson chafed under Manson's treatment of him and his money, by the time Manson's song Ceased to Exist was released as a Beach Boys single in December 1968, the title had been changed to Never Learn Not to Love. Manson's blues influence had been swapped for the Beach Boys' familiar pop sound, and Manson had been denied a songwriting credit. In response to the snub, Manson allegedly threatened to kill Wilson. Yeah, these threats combined with his general lack of talent, his violent temper, his flagrant racism, and his tendency to rant about an upcoming race war had all contributed to Melcher finally shying away from helping Manson with his musical career. According to Beach Boys member... You're a bit too much, son. (laughs) Right? God. So according to Mike Love, it was Melcher's mom... um, Doris Day, who became alarmed at the friendship develop- developing between Manson and her son. Whoa. And convinced Melcher and Bergen to move out of the Cielo house, um, drive house in January of 1969. Um, in June, Melcher finally told Manson that he wouldn't be signing him to a record deal. By the summer of 1969, it was clear that Manson's dreams of Hollywood star would stardom were over. That was short-lived. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, I mean, he met and was around so many celebrities. So many celebrities. So many like famous how, people. Yeah. I. Mm-hmm. You're talking about all of this, and I'm like, how did that happen? Like, how did that happen? Granted, I'm sure it's probably more difficult today to mm-hmm. get to be friends with a celebrity. And, you know, I'm sure that it is. But still, it just seems so... 
I don't know, uh, unlikely, I guess, is the best word. That he, oh, yeah. of he all went, people, yeah. But he was very he was charming, right? A, yeah. So, yeah, and yeah. he was said to, yes, be charming. And then he had girls around him all the time. Yeah. You know, the 60s, drugs, girls, you know. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, have so box wine and dogs around me all the time. <laughs> right? You're living your best life. <laughs> I am living my best life. <laughs> um, Manson was aware that Melcher and Bergen had moved out of the house um, on Cielo Drive. In fact, the house was now being rented by filmer, filmmaker Roman Polanski and his wife, Bally of the Dolls actress Chantate. But Manson seemed to have the house fixed in his head as a microcosm of Hollywood itself. Everything mm-hmm. he'd been denied. So in August 1969, with his paranoia increasing and his commune under apparent threat, he ordered a group of his followers to visit the address and kill everyone inside. Jesus. Yeah. So Manson ordered his followers to commit the Tate and the LaBianca murders because he was trying to jumpstart what he purported to believe would be the coming race war between the government and black citizens, in particular the Black Panthers, whom he hated. Manson had dubbed this movement Helter Skelter, preaching that the Beatles' White Album, song of the same name, which was written about an amusement park, (laughs) um, he was saying that was actually about the forthcoming war. So throughout the summer of 1969, Manson had been hinting to his followers that if black Americans didn't start Helter Helter Skelter, the family had to help it along. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. So Manson also wanted to distract the law from other crimes. So in May of 1969, he had non-fatally shot a drug dealer named Bernard Latsapapa Crow after a dispute over a drug payment. Okay. Two months later, Manson had urged several of his followers to steal money from a friend of his named Gary Hinman. After two days of holding him in hostage, during which Manson cut Hinman's ear, Manson follower Bobby Boussoulet killed Hinman. The family members attempted to blame Hinman's death on the Black Panthers by writing political piggy and a Black Panther symbol and blood on the wall. But Boussoulet was arrested for the murder and taken into custody on August 6th. So Manson's goal was to have his followers kill everyone at the house on Cielo Drive and make the killings look like the Hinman killing in order to divert police suspicion from the captive Boussoulet. Okay. So on August 8th and 9th, 1969... Tex Watson took Manson followers, Patricia Krenwinkel, Susan Atkins, and Linda Kasabian to the house on Cielo Drive, where all of them, except Kasabian, who was horrified, proceeded to kill Tate and four guests. The occupants of the house at Cielo Drive that evening were movie actress Sharon Tate, who was eight and a half months pregnant, and the wife of film director Roman Polanski, her friend and former lover Jay Sebring, a noted celebrity hairstylist, um... Polanski's friend, Wachek Frykowski, and Frykowski's girlfriend, Abigail Folger, who was heiress to the Folger's coffee fortune and daughter of Peter Folger. Also present on the property were William Gerritsen and Stephen Parent. Uh, Polanski was away in Europe working on a film. So Watson and the three women arrived at Cielo Drive just past midnight. Um, Watson climbed a telephone pole near the entrance gate and cut the phone line to the house. The group backed their car to the bottom of the hill that led to the estate and walked back up to the house. They thought that the gate might be electrified or equipped with an alarm, so they climbed a brushy embankment to the right of the gate and entered the grounds. 
Headlights approached them from within the property, and Watson ordered the women to lie in the bushes. He stepped out and ordered the approaching driver to halt. Stephen Parent had been visiting the property's caretaker, William Gerritsen, who lived in the guest house. Watson leveled a 22 caliber revolver at Parent, who begged him not to hurt him, claiming that he would not say anything. Watson lunged at Parent with a knife, giving him a defensive slash wound on the palm of his hand that severed tendons and tore the boy's watch off his wrist, then shot him four times in the chest and abdomen, killing him. Watson ordered the women to help push the car further up the driveway. So Watson next cut the screen of a window, then told Kasabian to keep watch down by the gate. She walked over to Parent's car and waited. Watson removed the screen, entered through the window, and let Atkins and Krenwinkel in through the front door. He whispered to Atkins and awoke Frykowski, who was sleeping on the living room couch. Watson kicked him in the head, and Frykowski asked him who he was and what he was doing there. Watson replied, I'm the devil, and I'm here to do the devil's business. On Watson's direction, Atkins found the house's three other occupants with Krenwinkel's help and forced them into the living room. Watson began to tie Tate and Sebring together by their necks with rope, which he had brought, then slung it over one of the living room's ceiling beams. So, does that make sense? Like, he tied each of them around their neck, and then it went over. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Have you seen um, the crime scene photos? I have. Yeah. Um, Sebring protested the murderer's rough treatment of the pregnant Tate, so Watson shot him. Um, Folger was taken momentarily back to her bedroom for her purse, and she gave the murderers $70. That's all she had. Um, Watson then stabbed Sebring seven times. Jesus. So Frykowski's hands had been bound with a towel, but he freed himself and began struggling with Atkins, who stabbed at his legs with a knife. He fought his way out the front door and onto the porch, but Watson caught up with him. Struck him over the head with a gun multiple times, stabbed him repeatedly, and shot yeah. him twice. God damn. Yeah. Kasabian had heard, quote, horrifying sounds and moved towards the house from her position in the driveway. She told Atkins that someone was coming in an attempt to stop the murders, supposedly. No. Inside the house, Folger escaped from Krenwinkle and fled out a bedroom door to the pool area. Krenwinkle pursued her and caught her on the front lawn where she stabbed her and tackled her to the ground. Watson then helped finish her off. Her assailant stabbed her a total of 28 times. Yeah. Frykowski struggled across the lawn, but Watson continued to stab him, killing him. Frykowski suffered 51 stab wounds and had also been struck 13 times in the head with the butt of Watson's gun, which bent the barrel and broke off one side of the gun grip, which was recovered at the scene. I do remember that the gun grip broke, but I didn't realize it bent the barrel. Yeah, like that's that was intense. That's really, really intense. And, that, mm-hmm. and Folger was wearing a white nightgown, and when their bodies were discovered, the police thought it was a red nightgown because it was completely covered in blood. They didn't realize and there it was are, white. Yeah, if you look at the crime scene photos, you can see it. Mm-hmm. Um. Which we are not putting up, guys. We're not oh, putting no, we're any not putting of these you, photos If you up. want to see them, you have to go look yourself for it. Go, go look yourself, yeah. We're mm-hmm. not putting any of any of these photos up. No. <laughs> we don't In even go for the Patreon, so don't think that you can mm-hmm. come to Patreon and see gory pictures. We're not doing that either. <laughs> no, we're, it's exploitive. I don't, it, mm, for sure. 
um, in the house, Tate pleaded to be allowed to live long enough to give birth and offered herself as a hostage in an attempt to save the life of her unborn child. But both Atkins and Watson stabbed Tate 16 times, killing Fuck. her. Yeah, if you... Have you ever heard them talking about the murders? Yeah. Afterwards when they confessed? Like mm-hmm. how fucking just without emotion they are? Absolutely without emotion, remorse. They're they thought it was robots. funny. Yeah. Yeah. Have you... I know you haven't read the book Helter Skelter, but have you seen that the movie Helter Skelter mm-hmm. with Stephen Rails back as Manson? Mm-mm. The actors that they found are so good because mm. it was made in the seventies shortly right. after he wrote the book. The actors are so good. And so the woman that plays Susan Atkins is so haunting in Susan that Atkins herself, man, I, I, I watched her crazy. She makes me fucking sick. Yes. And just to, it's just really terrifying to look at the actual woman. Granted, she's dead now, but mm-hmm. the actress that plays her, portrayed that just soulless mm-hmm. vibe blank. so blank yes blank looks so well it was really hard to look at her on screen she was really great i recommend wow. it to everybody yeah. i can imagine mm. um so according to watson Man- manson had told the women to leave a sign something witchy so actions wrote pig. thing to say yeah Atkins wrote pig on the front door in Tate's blood. Mm-hmm. Atkins claimed she did this to copy cat the murder scene of Gary Hinman in order to get Manson family member Bobby Boussoulet out of jail, who was in custody for the murder. Um, the crimes created a panic in Los Angeles, especially given their horrific nature. Um, no surprise. Frykowski yeah. had been stabbed more than 50 times and shot twice. Investigators were initially baffled and failed to make the connection between this murder scene and that of the LaBiancas, with detectives convinced that a drug transaction was a likely trigger for the Tate murders. Um, Frykowski was, like, trying to become some kind of big-shot dealer to the stars. Um, oh, really? And mm-hmm. And that's, I think, a big reason for that. And then oh. I don't know how they could not connect these. But, yeah. however, and. October 1969, various members of the Manson cult were arrested at their base, Spawn Ranch, accused of stealing vehicles and burning equipment. Yeah. Atkins was was jailed, and while there, she boasted to cellmates of the Tate murders. And by year's end, all of the killers had been arrested. Yeah. Yep. Um, so the five perpetrators, Atkins, Cronenweigel, Manson, Van Hooten, and Watson... Van Houten, um, and yeah. Van Houten was in the La Bianca or whatever. She, yeah, she, she went the second night. Yeah. She was in the second night, yeah. yeah. Uh, were each tried and convicted for their roles in the Tate La Bianca murders. Originally, each defendant received a death sentence. However, in 1972, the Supreme Court of California ruled that the state's then-current death penalty laws were unconstitutional. As a result, the decision spared the lives of 107 death row inmates in California. Mm. including Charles Manson and his four family members. Yeah. Subsequently, the death sentence for each of the five perpetrators uh, was commuted to life in prison, um, yeah. which by law includes the possibility of parole. God. Yes, So Susan does, Atkins, though. yeah, she remained in prison until her death from brain cancer at age 61 in 2009. 
At the time of her death, she was California's longest serving female inmate. Atkins had been denied parole 14 times and her request for compassionate release was also denied. Which I thought was the most ludicrous bullshit ever, ever. But also her husband was her attorney who had filed for, Mm. she got married. Just like Richard Ramirez. Like, who is marrying these fucking psychos? I don't know. But anyway, yes. I I just, I remember reading that and thinking, compassionate release? Because you lost your leg? And you have brain cancer? No. No. (laughs) I I, I think that's ludicrous. Sorry, go on. Yeah. Uh, Patricia Krenwinkel, imprisoned in 1971. Uh, She remains incarcerated. Uh, following the death of Susan Atkins, um, she's now the longest incarcerated female inmate in the California penal system. Yay! She has been denied <laughs> parole 14 times, but she's up again this year. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Mm. So Manson remained imprisoned until his death um, from cardiac arrest um, in 2017. He was just a few days past his 83rd birthday and had spent all but 13 years of his life in some sort of supervised setting. Yeah. Um, either prison, reformatory, or boys' home. Boys' home, whatever. Mm-hmm. 12 hours at Trans-Allegheny. Yeah. Right. So while in prison, Manson had been denied parole 12 times. Um, and after 1997, he refused to attend any of his parole hearings. Yeah. Leslie Van Houten, upon her conviction and death sentence in 1971, at the age of 21, Van Houten became the youngest woman ever put on California's death row as well as the youngest member of the Manson family convicted of murder. Yeah. Um, Her original conviction and death sentence was overturned on appeal. She was later retried and sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole. She is still currently incarcerated. She has been denied parole 22 times and most recently in 2021. At her three most recent parole hearings, Van Houten was approved for parole by the board But in each case, the board's decision was overturned by California's governor. So first, Jerry Brown overturned it, and most recently, Gavin Newsom overturned it. Yeah. They're never going to let them out. Um, I think think if they were – she is the only one, I think, that they would allow out. But I really mm -hmm. think that there are still enough people a lot that – you know, I I don't – think she would have much of a life outside of prison because I feel like some nut would try to take her out. Honestly. That's possible. But I don't. I mean, she'd certainly be a curiosity, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, and what kind of life could she possibly have? Like, what, is she going to be a librarian? Like, but it's entirely, I mean, they say of all of them, she is the most likely one to be released, but I don't think as long as any of the victims' families are still alive, I think they'll they'll all die in prison. Yeah, and so um, to on to Mr. Tex Watson. Um, he also remains incarcerated. He has been denied parole seventeen times, most recently in twenty twenty one. While imprisoned, Watson claims that he has become a born again Christian. So, what has happened to the house in the scene of the crime? So, in 
So at the time of the murders, it was owned by Rudolph Altabelli. He was a talent manager who rented it out to the victims and prior to, you know, Terry Melcher and Candace. Sure. Sure. So he moved back into the house just three weeks after the murders and resided there until 1988. I know. I can't believe it. You resided there for almost 20 years? Yeah. And during an interview on 2020, he said that while living there, he felt, quote, safe, secure, loved, and beauty, unquote. Um, the house then changed hands once he sold it um, several times. After that, um, you know, it went to like many different real estate investors. Sure. Uh, the final resident of the original house was the musician Trent Reznor of Nine Snails. Reznor rented the house and set up a recording studio there. This studio dubbed Pig in reference to murderer Susan Atkins writing Pig and Tate's blood on the front house of the door. Mm. was the site of the recording sessions for most of the Nine Snails album, The Downward Spiral. Which was my very favorite album when it came out. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm kind of a big Nine Snails fan. (laughs) (laughs) I I really am. Um, So Reznor moved out in December 1993, later explaining there was too much history in that house for me to handle. Reznor made a statement about working in the Tay House during a 1997 interview with Rolling Stone. Um, He said, while I was working on Downward Spiral, I was living in the house where Sharon Tate was killed. Then one day I met her sister. It was a random thing, just a brief encounter. And she said, are you exploiting my sister's death by living in her house? For the first time, the whole thing kind of slapped me in the face. I said, no, it's just sort of my own interest in American folklore. I'm in this place where a weird part of history occurred. I guess it never really struck me before, but it did then. She lost her sister from a senseless, ignorant situation that I don't want to support. When she was talking to me, I realized for the first time, what if it was my sister? I thought, fuck Charles Manson. I don't want to be looked at as a guy who supports serial killer bullshit. Yeah. Reznor took the front door of the house with him when he moved out, however, installing it at Nothing Studios, his new recording studio. Um, After continuing to rent out the house... Um, Alvin Wintraub um, had it demolished in 1994 Mm. and construction on new home began later in that same year. In 1996, the newly constructed home was completed that he named Villa Bella and obtained a new address for the property. Yeah. Um, And so Weintraub assured Los Angeles magazine that this was certainly not the Manson murder house. Quote, we went to great pains to get rid of everything. There's no house, no dirt, no blade of grass remotely connected to Sharon Tate. Wow. There would almost have to be. Yeah. You would almost have to complete. I don't even know how far down you'd have to dig to get the blood out of that ground. I know. It's foul. Foul. So, however, while the, when this was happening, when the Tate house was being demolished... There was another house being built 150 feet away from where the the Tate house stood um, that was being built by our guest and his father. Yep. And uh, we are going to bring him on here in just a minute. He is going to talk about all things haunted with his home. Um, You will have seen him on Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, Paranormal Witness, uh, he's been, uh, God, I can't even, I, I can't even list all of the different shows <laughs> that he has been on. He has written his own, written and directed his own movie, The House at the End of the Streets. Um, 
about his experiences in the house. And he's also written a book called The Ghosts of Cielo Drive. Uh, we are going to bring David Oman on here in just a second so that he can talk about, like I said, all the things haunting because who knows better than him. We will be right back. <laughs> Maybe if I can figure out what I'm doing. <laughs> we'll be right back. My little thing shut off. I don't know. If you've never heard of Reiki before, or have heard of it, but never tried it, now is your wonderful chance. Reiki is a Japanese complementary health approach using the goal of directing energy to help facilitate the person's own healing response. It's based on the belief in an energy that supports the body's innate or natural healing abilities. It has been used to help with relaxation, anxiety, pain management, depression, focus, and so much more. Erin Bush of Soul Waves Spiritual Wellness is a certified Reiki healer and brings her offerings to the listeners here at History of a Haunting. Erin channels the universal life source energy that connects us all to work its magic to kickstart your body's innate ability to heal. With a free initial consultation, a variety of options best suited for your personal needs, and all done over Zoom, contact Erin at Soul Waves Spiritual Wellness today at soulwavesekb at gmail.com or call her at 904-438-4604. Soul Waves Spiritual Wellness. Take your power back and get started on your healing journey. That's soulwaveskb at gmail.com or by phone at 904-438-4604. Hi, guys. We have a really wonderful guest joining us today. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together. My friend and now Laura's friend, the David Oman. Hi. Hi, girls. How are you, Carrie? Laura? <laughs> we are doing great. Hello. Um Hello. So we're in a bit of a different show today, guys. Uh, David is actually going to be doing my part, and he's going to be talking all about the hauntings, because who would know the hauntings of his home better than him? So David, why don't you tell us, for the folks that don't know, and most of our listeners already do, but for the folks that don't, we're getting new listeners all the time, you purchased land that was, what, 150, 200 feet from the site of the Sharon Tate murders, correct? Yeah. From the okay. property that was formerly known as known as the Shantae murders, yes. Yeah. So um, things began to you started noticing paranormal activity almost as soon as construction began, correct? Yeah, even actually before construction, when I was here um, interring my cat Arthur, my first pet, um, into the earth here because I said I'm going to you know, basically show my respects to my pet and say, look, I'm not going to cremate you. I'm going to bury your whole body on the side of the hill on the property that we just bought because I was saying that this is going to be where I'm going to live for the rest of my life. Okay. And um, when my friend and I lowered ourselves down the hill about um, 15 feet from the street, we started excavating and you know digging his burial, his grave. Mm-hmm. Um, as we lowered him into the earth and he was wrapped in some pair of jeans of mine as a burial shroud, I uh, said, we were making, saying a prayer over him as we were putting the earth on there. I said, Sean, I said, I have the strangest feeling that I'm being buoyed up by a group of people like mourners here. And he said, 
and we're on the slope of the hill, so <clears throat> we're literally about 15 feet from the street. Here's the street, and we're 15 feet down on the slope of the hill on this angle. Okay. Sitting there, and he's like, he goes, I, he goes I, I have to tell you something. I said, I feel the same thing. I just all of a sudden felt this overwhelming sense of, of a group of people around us watching us and, you know, being a part of this. And I said, yeah, that's strange. That's so strange. And that was like the first time that I was able to confirm that with somebody else that was with me. And it wasn't yeah. just me thinking, you know, I mean, it's easy for one person to presuppose what you feel. Sure. It's another thing to have that feeling confirmed by somebody else that's, out, you know, with you there that's able to corroborate what they're connecting to. And it was like, okay. Cause he could have said, cause I don't feel a thing. But right. he, was saying, he, wasn't, he wasn't being patronizing and saying, you know, because at the moment he was being dead honest. He wasn't the type of person to um, tell you what you wanted to hear. As yeah. I, as I would basically say it in a nutshell. He was a person that was pretty blunt and direct and would say, this is this, this is this. Wow. And you hadn't broken ground on the house yet, right? No. Okay. Why did you choose that, that, that? Going back to Arthur, when we broke ground from the house. Yes. Now, why did you choose that lot to build your home in? Because, I mean, Benedict Canyon is a is a beautiful area. It's a beautiful place to live. Is that why? Or why did you choose that specific plot of land? Because right. it's a very oh, no. unique plot of land. I didn't choose it as much as it chose me. And people go, what does that mean? And the more I think about it, the more I try to explain that to people in this sense. Um, I couldn't have afforded to buy this lot at, at retail value. The retail value was over $300,000. Yeah. And the fact that when we bought it and when we first saw it, we realized that there was $100,000 worth of improvements here on the property in the, in the name of um, 13 caissons. They were pre-drilled holes that had these concrete piles going down into them that were reinforced, excuse me, and the rebar on top of the property, on top of the, the hillside that was there from the previous construction. Oh, so okay. So $400,000 worth of value, and my dad called me up on a Saturday morning, on a Sunday morning in late November, mid-late November 1998, and said, at 8 o'clock in the morning, he woke me up and said, David, get up. I found something. It's like... Dad, it's 8 o'clock in the morning on Sunday. What are you talking about? And I was like exhausted. I probably went to sleep right about 2 in the morning. So at 8 in the morning, hearing him telling me this, I'm going, yeah, yeah, okay, Dad, well, what? And he goes, it's a lot. And it's like, all right, what? And he goes, it's, 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 there's a lot for sale in Beverly Hills for $40,000, and it's in the Sunday classified ads. I want you to go and meet me at this location. And I started to think to myself, yeah, okay, Dad, yeah. And let me guess, the, the ad in the classified section says 40K. He goes, yeah. I said, Dad, it's a misprint. There's no way Beverly Hill <laughs> a lot for sale for $40,000. And again, this is in 1998. So at that time, like I said, the property would have been worth about $400,000 with the, with the improvements. Sure. So I said, Dad, come on. And I kept on trying to, like, get over. He's like, forget it. And he's like, get off your ass, get up and meet me. <laughs> And at that point, I realized, okay, fine. I'm not going to win. I got to just go along with it. I, I, and furthermore, I started hearing, my, hearing a voice in my head say, what do you have to lose? Yeah. 
What if it's true? Who knows? I said, fine. So I rambled my ass up. <laughs> Remember, I got the dogs, my two dogs, my my Rhodesian Ridgeback Sebastian and my Mutt Stella. And I said, come on, you two. I'm not doing this alone. <laughs> I, got a Toyota, I jumped in my 19, it was 1988 Toyota RAV4. I motor on up Benedict Canyon. I'm t- and I, and remember, there is no map quest. No. There is no Google Maps. No. This doesn't exist. <laughs> and I had to get out this thing called the Thomas Guide, which is basically a street map guide. <laughs> so in the back, you look up the name of a street, and then it says go to page X to 34, and then look up quadrant A, section B or C. Yes. Go, a, <laughs> All right, so there the hell it is. Then you got to look on the other page and flip through the pages to find where on the this page below it goes because it says continues on page 16. So you go to page 16 and you go, all right, here we are. Quadrant A. Oh, no, it's quadrant B. I just see this. Where the hell am I? I'm on quadrant page 24. Yeah. God damn. I'm on quadrant C. You know, level, level six. Holy crap. Yeah. Kids, this is to- how we got around. Yep. This is how we go around. I mean, I can grab a gosh darn, you know, one to show the kids out there to see what the hell this is about. Go, this is real. This is exactly how it was. <laughs> you know, this is how it really was. And you were, and I was there. Yeah. Which I'm going, this is, this was this TV show from the 60s, 70s called, and you were there. It's yeah. Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. You ever been off the show? My God, call it what it was. But I was there. Who the hell are you? So, <laughs> I found the Cielo Drive, but I'm, and the name Cielo Drive isn't like ringing, buzzing bells and buzzing in my ear going, Cielo Drive, Cielo Drive, what's about Cielo Drive? I'm not making the connection. Okay. And again, this is 1998, so 69. So it's like 30 years after the murders. Okay. It's not, there's, Manson isn't a big topic. There isn't social media. Yeah. First of all, second of all, he's a gosh darn, just some schmuck in gosh darn jail. Mm-hmm. You know, these murders. So, or orchestrating them, sorry. So I get up the street and I start driving up Benedict Canyon. I go up and I make the left onto Cielo and I go up the street and start getting kind of like tingling feelings all of a sudden, thinking to myself, and then I start to realize when I go up the private drive and I go down this thing and I started coming around the bend, I started realizing this is where I used to go in high school with my friends. Because when I was like 15 years old, my friends used to drive up to the Tate house, which was there, sure. 19, you know, and we used to go look at the house because it was there. It was only torn down in 1994. Right. So we used to go there and the, there was a chain link fence in front of the property. I'll never forget and you could look into the driveway, but you couldn't see anything except for pavement. Sure. Because the house sat well around the right side. So it was all the way tucked away onto the right. But I remember going up there. We used to, my friends used to drink and party. And I used to remember the very first time I would go, I went there. And ever since that point, time, which I went there then, go up to the gate and I'd bow my head and say a prayer because we'd all read Helter Skelter. Yeah. And in my estimation, I the least I could do was show my respects for those who had died there, the tragedy. And everybody else is drinking and smoking, and I'm like, no, you got to show some respect for what happened here. You can't just treat this like, you know, yeah. like it's just, oh, it's just some, some chill place to hang. It's like, and yeah. I also remember that there were newspapers stacked up in front of the uh, 
the fence, the chain link fence, were just sitting there, piles of them going, wow, this is crazy. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, this flashback and going, oh, my God, and my dad drives up and I'm making the connection. In the meantime, I'm looking down at this property and there's a new chain link fence. But instead of seeing what I remember seeing, which was this old rickety wooden fence on the left that was all planks, all I saw was construction and just broken asphalt and then empty gravel going in and a big yellow bin there at the front. And sure. just what I could see, there's, there's something being built and some new pieces of uh, of architecture in the front of a, of a for the new gate that was being built in front of it. And it looked like this McMansion, just looked like this big obnoxious mansion. And I said to my dad, he drives up and I said, dad, I said, that's where the tape murders took place. And he goes, I don't give a shit about that. That's some 30 odd years ago. He goes, we're here to look at this piece of real estate. And I looked down the slope of this hill and I go, Jesus Christ, I said, that's pretty damn steep. And he goes, yeah. Do you notice what do you see what I see? And I'm like, what are you talking? He goes, and I started noticing, looking closely, there's this like blackish, brownish, rust-colored material that's sitting on top that's you can see it through the weeds. Because the whole hillside's got a few trees and it's covered with weeds and huh. it's thick. And I'm looking down there going, I said, is that what I think? Is that rebar? And he goes, Yeah, that's rebar. Because somebody started building a house here, and for some reason the city held them up, and they foreclosed. The banks foreclosed on them years later, and that's what this is. So that's why the price and, was forty thousand. As it turns out, the city had denoted that the property on the original street plans showed it as a private drive, and then somewhere in through the years they changed the. Applicate the, the street maps were updated instead of saying private drive, it said private street, which to you and I is semantics, but in a legal sure. reference, it's a huge difference to the city. And oh. the statements were that the city takes care of the um, the, pro the property. Oh, let me see, private drive, let me do it this way private street has to be a minimum of 20 feet wide and have a 38 foot round around um, area for a turnaround for emergency vehicles like fire trucks. Okay. And the city provides the electrical, the sewer lines, and all utilities up to the properties. And, and the city maintains the street and includes and, and imposes the speed limit. We'll have to take care of the maintenance of the street. Sure. And the upkeep of the street, meaning they have to pave it and they have to, the private drive is the exact opposite. Meaning it's all you. It doesn't have to be any specific width. Okay. It does not get maintained by the city. It doesn't get paid by the city. The city doesn't control the speed limit. Such as an example would be a privately owned property like a, like a motor speedway that has speeds going over 100 and some odd 200 miles an hour. Oh, okay. They, they don't have to obey the speed laws. That makes sense. So okay. a private drive... You don't have to be the speed loss. We go 100 miles an hour. You can't give somebody a ticket on a private drive for 100 miles an hour. Okay. You could. <clears throat> right. But that's an example. Okay. And the utilities and the sewer lines and all that stuff have to be brought up and taken care of by the property owners. Gotcha. Okay. 
and we didn't need a 38-foot wide turnaround. So what happened was, as you look through the, plan, the maps, they said, wait a second, this map was dated 1980, this one map was dated 1985, this was dated 1990, and somewhere in the lines of communication, somebody mistransposed private drive to With private street. street. And it was originally designated as a private drive, and therefore the person that started building here Turns out they were building, and the neighbor complained when they were going from the city. And the city looked it up and said, "It's a private street. This can't. You can't put another house on this property. This is now a private street." Nobody took the time to look backwards and file for the and petition saying that this is wrong yeah. and it should be resolved. As a result, the bank, the guy said, "Well, I can't build on this. You know, foreclose on me." And so the bank foreclosed on his building loan, and the house, the property went in foreclosure. So some 10 years later, it went up for sale. Wow. And we ended up being the beneficiaries of it, buying yeah. the property in January of 1999. Okay. Spent the next close to three and three quarter years building this house. Okay. And you had um, a lot of the, the folks that were working on the construction of your home had experiences of their own. Is that correct? I believe there was a story where there was a construction worker who um, had an experience and decided, well, this has been great, but I'm done here and just left. Is that correct? Yeah. The story goes this, the, the laborers had, had I, at six months, let me see, it was uh, six months before we were done. I assembled the original crew that was working on the house. And I think there was five guys between the ages of 16 and 34, the 34 year old, being the father to the 16-year-old kid okay. that was working on the job. And I asked him, I said, look, since we're finished up with the rough construction, we're going to the final construction, which was the finished construction, being in putting in the carpeting and putting in the light fixtures and the finished plumbing and stuff so that these guys were basically done with the framing and the actual construction of the house. Drywall, and all so of that fun stuff. Drywall yeah. and all the painting and stuff. So all that was done. We were now installing the floors the hardwood floors and stuff throughout the house and the carpeting. So their time was done in the house. I said, look, since you guys have been here for the past two and a half, three years, um, have any of you guys had any weird experiences during construction? And one of the guys raised his hand and said, yeah, uh, I, uh, I had some strange shit happen to me six months earlier. And I said, like what? And he basically went on to say that it was mid-July – and he was working on the house. It was about 6 o'clock in the evening. He was the last one on the job. He was the guy that was putting in the tiles in the bathrooms. And uh, he said that uh, he was on the third floor and he's packing his bags up. And he heard the sound of voices and footsteps coming from the top floor. Now, again, um, it, to help the audience understand what we're talking about, when we say top floor, bottom floor, I'm going to get a picture to show you guys <laughs> from my book so you can see what it looked like. I wish I would have been more prepared for this. But, um, shit. That's not it. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Ah, here we go. That's the house. Okay. That up here is the top floor, which we call the top floor because it's on street level. And then each six, this is during construction, of course. This being the top floor, this being the second floor, this being the third floor down. Oh, okay. Here, that right there is the street. The road, okay. 
As a matter of fact, if you look in this picture, this is when we bought the property. That's what it looked like. Wow. And I think you got some pictures here. You can see. Oh, that's yeah. Actually, this is the third floor right here. Oh, okay. What's funny is, is this right about there is where the earthen wall room is present day. Oh, okay. Okay. And as a matter okay. of fact, the picture right there, this photograph. Yeah. That's the earthen wall room. That's, that's what the earthen wall room looked like before it was enclosed. Okay. That is, that is so cool. I, once you finish talking about this guy's experience, I do have a question for you just because I've never lived in California and your home sure. is so beautiful. And it also looks a little like, cause it's on that, like what, what's the word I'm looking for, Laura? It's, it's like the top it's floor is on street level. It's not, it's not one of those that used to call um, matchstick homes, which would basically cantilever it, and then they would have this would be the hillside, and then there would be this empty space, and then they'd have these yeah steel posts underneath it. It looks cool. like it might be though, yeah. Well, what it is is actually is is that it's built on this the concrete going the concrete steps going down the entire hill. And basically gotcha. the house sits on each floor. So, you you know, here's the hillside here. You then have each floor going successively. If you notice my hand, it gets the, the distance. Mm, right. You know, this, each floor gets narrower and narrower. Okay. But still, the bottom floor is probably 1,000 square feet. I cannot wait to see this house. Laura and I were just talking. We were like, we've got to see this house. <laughs> you guys get your asses out. You do a live show from here. We do a barbecue. And we do the whole nine yards. See, I told you. Shut up. No one asked you. So. Yeah. Okay. So the construction worker. So he said about six months ago, he was doing the tile. Shush. Thank you. Obnoxious toy. Um, <laughs> That's the best. So he says, it's like, so, so here's voices and footsteps coming from the top floor. So he goes upstairs and he looks. And he goes looking up and down the drive when he says, there's no one here. And I said, I've been at the house in the weekday, during the weekdays at seven o'clock in the summer. And the place is dead empty as well because no one's up here. It's all light. Sure. And he says, yeah, it goes, it was strange. So he goes, I thought it was you and your father come to check up and see what's going on in the house. I said, it wasn't me. So he goes back downstairs and he starts working and finishing packing his, you know, doing some stuff down there. And again, he hears voices and footsteps. And he runs upstairs this time with a hammer. And he's like going, Kenneth, Kenneth. Top floor, nothing there. Second floor, nothing there. Decides that's it. I'm packing my bags. Now, you got to remember, the setup of the house is you've got the top floor. You've got a, a open area that goes down this 8 foot by 8 foot, 40 foot, 40 foot stairwell. That yeah. goes all the way to the bottom. So it's an open open staircase type of thing. So there's a spiral staircase that goes to the second floor, then goes to the third floor. And it's an open landing at the bottom that's 10 to 11 feet tall. The opening is eight feet wide, and it goes into that area. That's that eight foot by eight foot um, cavern, I'd call it, you know, stairwell. Right. It's all open. So he's in the other room, and he's, he's now putting his uh, tools into his box, into his uh, toolbox, and he says he hears... Footsteps coming down the staircase. Okay. And he described it as, since we didn't have any carpet, it was just these, what was this, two by 12 inch wide wood planks. Right. That were in 
the staircase frame, sure. the skeleton going down. And he's describing this like leather-soled shoes hitting the treads, and they're getting louder and louder as he hears them coming down the staircase. And the sounds are literally echoing down through this cavern, the stairwell, right. and into the opening into the room. And he's right in the room next to it. And he says it got so loud, it sounded just like they were just getting closer and closer. And they got to the landing, it stopped. So he rushes out of the gosh done door from the other room and he looks. He's 12 feet from the landing. Because there's nothing there. Not a goddamn thing. He goes, and then it happens. He says, all of a sudden, he's, he feels this ice cold chill. And he described it as like a two inch wide band of ice running across the back of his neck. And he says, he stood, his body stood up erect, and he says all the hairs on his body stood straight up, just got really like standing straight up on end. Sure. He says, Ados mios, ados mios, yame boy, yame boy. Translate from Spanish, it means, oh my God, oh my God, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. Yeah. At which point he ran up the stairs and took off and didn't come back for six weeks. That's right, that's what the And I said to him, I said, wait a second. Is that when you told the other guys that you were in El Salvador taking care of your sick mother? And he goes, yep. I said, I remember that. Because you were going to put in the tiles, and you had put in the tiles for the kitchen, for the upstairs bathroom, <coughs> for the two second, second floor bathrooms, and for the third floor bathroom. But you didn't get to do the master bathroom. <laughs> and I said, I remember that. Because I asked the guys when you're coming back every week, and by the third week when they said they didn't, you know, you were coming back the next week, I said, screw this, I'll do it myself. And I took the initiative, which I never did, to put the tiles in the master bathroom. And he said to me, he goes, yeah, the master bathroom, he goes, yeah, he goes, the room where the tiles look a little taller? I said, yeah, a little taller, a little spaced gap. I said, yeah, he goes, I realized after I put them in, he goes, you know, those are natural stone. And because they're natural stone, they have an intricate pattern that you're supposed to basically, you said, take the tiles out and lay them out in a pattern and decide where the, the veins of in, are in the, the tile oh. so that you can make them go because they're cut in a way that you can make a pattern so that you can have this beautiful. And I said, really? I said, so that's why I've got a line going like this and a line going like this. They don't match. He goes, yeah. He goes, you didn't do it. I said, yeah. I said, no. Because I sat there and I watched him take the, the grout. And I've been a, on a construction site since I was a kid. So watching guys put in tile, Timmy was like, oh, I can do that. I see them take the scoop of the grout. They slap it on the thing. They do like this and put it down. Right. Well, it works great for you. If you've been doing it for 20 years, it's old hat. When you're doing it for the first fucking time, you take 10 ounces, slap it on there. And then you got this, this on the bottom of the tile, you've got a, a thing like this. And then on the edges, there's no goddamn grout. And it's sitting up and you're saying, I'm going to push this down. It's like, you can push all you want. It is not going to spread across evenly. And it's not going to make the adhesion across the entire tile. Because what you're not watching is, he's taking this, the, the grout thing and he's basically making sure every inch of that gosh darn piece of tile, all four corners have got grout on them. Not the center, and you're just going to squeeze it because it doesn't work like that. And I said, yeah. And to this day, it looks like Mickey Mouse did it. And I say to myself, you don't believe my story? Come into the master bathroom and look at the freaking tile. 
and you tell me you think that the crown jewel of the home is the master bathroom. You think my story is some FOS that I go sabotage my home and submarine its value by doing the, the master bathroom tile like this is some kind of a joke? <laughs> really, seriously, I, I kid you not. It's like, wow, this is... This is nuts, though. But that yeah, sounds like something I would have done. Like, how hard can it be? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, hey, I can do that. I I, I watched him do that. I, I can do that. I yeah. Can't do that. I can't do that. No. Yeah. I found, I found the house that I have now is a new build home. And so we were living in Phoenix as the house was being built. And so the builder was sending us photographs of the, the every stage of the building. So I've been very familiar with it, but living in a new build home and maintaining a home when you, all you've had is apartments your whole entire life, even though, you know, my friends own their own homes and I've been to their house plenty of times and I've helped them with stuff. And, you know, how hard could it be is something I find myself saying all the time. Yeah. And I'm constantly proven just how hard it can be. <laughs> It's a lot. Look, 20 years here, and I have stuff that's happening here at the house that's making me cringe because I'm like, oh, my God, this is the shit my dad told me about as a kid. Right. You're going to have to do this, this, and that. And I'm going, oh, no. Oh, dear. No, no, no. Yeah, so, for yeah, sure. It's, it is it is eye-opening, to say the least. For sure, for sure. So it started essentially, the haunting started essentially before you even broke ground when you buried your pet and then the construction guys were... Because uh, it's kind of... Um, and you know this, within the paranormal community, it's, it's, it's sort of known that anytime you do any type of construction, renovation project, anything to a location, it does tend to kick up the spirits, um, for lack of a better phrase. So it doesn't strike me as odd in the least that once you started construction on your home the paranormal activity really, really amped up. I think one of the most famous stories from your home is you had, um, you have, were hosting a dinner party, I believe when you first moved in. <laughs> You're like, I don't know. Let's see what, what have you I heard? Host lots of dinner parties. It was one of the first ones. Yes. I've hosted dinner parties. When, yeah. when, I don't know if it was a friend of yours or your girlfriend was in the kitchen and saw somebody walk by the outside window, but no, the problem that was, that was during the filming of my movie. Thank was you. Was it? It was like dinner party. It's like, Dinner party? Yeah, which one? <laughs> <laughs> Dinner party 432. My line producer went into the kitchen. And this is during the filming of the movie House at the end of the drive. I wish I had a postcard I could reference this son of a bitch. Um, don't, though, do I? Son of a bitch. No, is that one? Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it? Yes, it is. Good man. Thank you, Sharon. Good woman. There. Yes. This is the movie House at the end of the House drive. House at the end of the drive. Right. And what it was is we were filming. She went into the kitchen to get something to eat. She turned her head to the right and she looked out the window that is in the kitchen. It's a small, it's probably about 24 by 24 inch sliding glass window, a little slider. And she remarked that she says, as I'm turning my head to the right, I catch the glimpse of a man walking across you know, straight across the window in the frame. And as I'm turning to my right, 
he's turning to his he's turning to his right and our eyes meet as he crosses the frame okay straight across and she says it was odd because she says wait a second she thought to herself she said to me because david doesn't live on a flat on flat on a flat piece of land where the hell is that window in relation to the side of the house? So she goes, runs outside. She goes out the door. She runs to the side of the house. She looks. And I wish I had a goddamn picture of it. She looks, and there's the window. And the staircase going down below the window, the distance between the staircase and the window is like 18 feet. Yeah. There's no way somebody could have been walking. There's no way. And he's not walking like him. Even if he was, you couldn't see him on the stairs from the window. Yeah. No, 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 because, yeah, the way the stairs go are kind of off to the the side. The stairs go like this. The window's here. Because the window's inside the property. The stairs are already here. Yeah, so it's an 18 foot from the windows to the staircase is 18 foot below it. So she goes and she tells me, and I said, wait a second, describe me. She goes, he has brown hair, it's parted on the side, it's straight, and this and that, and I'm going. And I showed her a picture of Jay Sebring, and she goes, that's who I saw. Yeah. I said, holy shit. Laura, I think you're muted. Oh, I was. Sorry, there was, like, kids being loud outside. I forgot I muted myself, so you guys can <laughs> outside. I'm surprised my dogs haven't started barking, actually. Um, yeah, where I live, like, there's, like, a little... It's not a cul-de-sac, but it's, like, a turn, so there's, like, a lot of room in the streets wider right here. So a lot of the kids will be, you know, outside playing and around here and, you know, on their scooters or whatever. And so they're yeah. right in front of my house, so sometimes they're a little bit loud. <laughs> They're, they're having too much fun. Right? <laughs> um, be like a grumpy old man. Get out of here. What? So, Laura, <laughs> do you have any questions for him so far as we're sort of easing you into his story? No. Um, I think it's so interesting. Um, and what I've read, so I'm a little bit, you know, I'm familiar, too, with a little bit of it. Um, that you really think it's Jay that hangs out around the most. Is that right? I, well, I, as far as that, I don't even go that far to say that. I, I can only say this: Jay is the only spirit I'd actually seen as an apparition. Oh, okay, really? You've seen okay. So I think, as far as hearing them or seeing them or such, uh, it's hard to say really who's who. I mean, again, there have been other people that have seen the apparition of Abigail. This little girl that was here a number of years ago saw the apparition of Abigail. A friend of mine's 18 years ago in 2004, upon her first visit, saw the apparition of Sharon Tate. She thought it was my girlfriend. Wow. Hang on a second. Can say something. Did you? Yeah. Well, did Laura? Did you just see what happened on his screen? Uh, it it got weird. dark. It like a shadow cross. Like your the light uh-huh. in your room got dark. It went like this way. It did not. I mean, physically yeah. between you and me, I know that the lights didn't dim and this light didn't dim. So if you saw something pass. Mm-hmm. Did I just say that just now? Did I did too. That? I did too. Yeah. That I saw. I saw like a faint shadow just pop in. And it, it, right, right there right. again. It did it again. Yeah. No. And you're not having any like weird connectivity issues or drag or anything. Mm-mm, so, no. He's perfectly crystal is, clear. His sound is like something's here. fucking with it. <laughs> something is. Yeah. I just saw darkness just appear. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Spirits, are you here? Do it again. 
Yep. It just got dark again. I saw Look at it's still doing it. Hi guys. Hey guys. She's here with us. Right? Now I'm having to pay attention to my screen because Right. Now we're all just staring. Look, there it is again. That's not happening physically here. The lights are not dimming at all. That's why I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why I had to stop you. I was like, what is that? was pretty cool. That's you got you guys doing this, spirits? It's not happening to Laura or I. It's just Mm -hmm. on his on his screen. I wonder if it's Jay. Now that we started talking about Jay, right? And everybody, everybody wants to come out and say hi. (laughs) Jay, you pissed off. I need a haircut. (laughs) He's like, listen, buddy. It's like, Whoa, did you see that? <laughs> Crazy. And nothing is happening on your end. Like your lights uh, aren't flickering or anything. No. Just did That's it so again. Crazy. It did. Uh-huh. It, and the, the blinds aren't oh, moving in the background. Uh-huh. The blinds aren't moving in the background. There's nothing. I'm There's no explanation for it. I want to do it. something here. Reconnect this. I have to turn my, my CCTV cameras on in my office here. They're not hooked, turned on right now. I turned them off. But after all is said and done, I want to turn them on because, to me, I, I should really review. Too bad I didn't. I'd like to review the uh, the footage yeah. to see what I thought because there might be footage that, uh, as you say, there might be inter- an interactivity that I'm missing right now that we could uh, capture. Yeah. During the uh, show. Mm. Wow, that's crazy. Isn't that that's crazy? crazy? That's so crazy. That's crazy. It, nuts. Hmm. That's so interesting. Right? I couldn't help but, uh-huh. like, it almost looked like something flew over it, like a shadow flew over his head and blocked the light uh-huh. out. That's exactly it. It looks like there's something interfering that's with your, nice. like, light source, you know? Mm-hmm. Wow. Like dimming it and then, and, you know, moving, Say hello. moving through it. <laughs> okay, now he's frozen. No. Oh, that I that. that should probably solve that problem. That right. was because of the uh, the CCTV camera system. Oh, okay. It takes oh, a little okay. bit more uh, juice from the, uh, you know, the, the computer, but that sure. was nuts. That was crazy. That was crazy. crazy. Wow. Wow, that's right. Huh. Okay, what were we talking about? We were talking about Jay. Um, people that have seen the full apparitions of people. So somebody yes. was saying somebody saw Abigail. Right, right. They've seen the so they saw us the Sebring's. I was the only one that saw Jay Sebring's apparition. Mm-hmm. But like I said, Alan McCary's story was great. She came here in 2004, I think it was August the 9th. So it was the 35th anniversary. I brought Rob Wodowski, who's a paranormal investigator and an author who came to the house. He didn't tell Alma anything about me, the house, or my story. Mm. Rob and I were outside, and Alma we, was sitting at the dining room table, and Rob and I came in, and she goes, oh, I just saw your girlfriend. And I said, what? And I said, can you describe her? Instead of me asking, what am I, instead of me telling her what, what is... The story I said, let me be smart and ask her what she saw first. Right. 
So she says, well, I saw this woman come from the bar, from the den, from the den. She walked around the bar. She turned, she looked at, she turned out and she looked at me. She smiled. And then she walked 10 feet and then walked, started walking down the staircase. I said, what was she wearing? And she described her as wearing a white sundress with long blondish brown hair that went down to, she goes, length, collected at the middle of her, of her neck, it looked like, and it was probably longer than that. And I'm like, and she goes, oh, she, I said, describe, what else can you, she had a beautiful smile. She was late 20s, early 30s, had long, she said she had like a miniskirt type of, it was a cutoff miniskirt type of a white dress. And she said she had shapely legs and they were tanned. And I was like, and she was, they were, there wasn't any nylons or anything. And I'm like, going, I said, well, first of my girlfriend is, I said, how tall? She goes like five foot six or so. And I'm going, and she acted like, she said she acted like she owned the place, like she belonged here. Very comfortable like, there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, as a matter of fact, just looked and saw me, smiled and walked down the stairs. I'm going, my girlfriend is five foot 11, has chestnut brown hair, does not believe in ghosts, <laughs> and she has just been here. That's why she's not here tonight. <laughs> And then I said, Rob, I said, I think Alma saw something and said, we better. So we went through the house. All the doors were locked on the inside. There was no sign of this woman. Wow. And I showed Alma later on a picture. because that's right. I said, that's Sharon fucking Tate. Wow. Wow. Now she knew who Sharon Tate was, right? Yeah, Maybe. but she didn't know when we brought like, her up here. We didn't tell her anything about where she was going. We didn't say we're going down the street. I said, keep her in the dark. Yeah. I said, keep mm-hmm. her in the dark as far as where she's going. I don't want her to know so she doesn't have a drop box and she's psychic. Let her pick up what she's picking up. Yeah. There's no point in telling her anything. Then it's like, oh, she can extrapolate wherever she can from doing research. I said, the knowledge, I don't want yeah. that to be the case. Mm-hmm. To, yeah, to, to taint her. You want to prove yeah. something, you give somebody a test. I don't believe in such a thing as an open book test. Right. And for a psychic, an open book test is giving them the drop on where they're going. Wow. Yeah, that's very true. So now, and Laura and I were kind of talking about this a little bit this weekend, that your house, and it's not just your house, but it's that entire area of Benedict Canyon is a bit of a geographic anomaly. Well, Barry Taft said that it was a geo, that there's a geomagnetic anomaly that exists in the area here is what he said. Right. Yeah. It extends out a thousand yards or whatever. Okay. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. All I know is, is that I've had crazy stuff happen here and I've talked to other people in the area, not in my neighborhood, but in the, in the area that have told me they've had strange stuff happening at their house directly connected to the paranormal that has nothing to do with Sharon Tate, but connected to the people that were living at the place where they were remodeling. Oh, okay. All right. Oh. So I think I had read something, and I think when you and I talked a couple of years ago, that there's high EMF levels in that area. Is that correct? And In the house, we've recorded upwards of 5,000 milligauss positive to 5,000 milligauss negative in the house. Wow. And when Barry Taff was here in 2004, he brought a geomagnetic DC EMF um, geomagnetometer which registers only DC EMF levels, which are direct current, which are like batteries, static electricity, lightning. Oh, okay. Um, mm-hmm. 
AC, which is called alternating current, is what runs through the lights in your house, through the city streets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's called alternating current. Okay. Direct current is just going from the battery to the to the power to the item that's basically using the energy. Okay. It's direct. Alternating current basically sends beeps of energy through or pulses. Sorry, of energy. <clears throat> Through the transmission line, where the other way it's just direct. Okay. It's direct. That's why. And what Barry said was that, according to his ge- digital geomagnetometer, that the, the meters were spiking from to 2,000 milligauss positive to 2,000 milligauss negative. And at the time, he says, unfortunately, our meters are limited by the range at which they can receive information. Meaning they can only register up to two thousand milligauss. Okay. Positive. Well, he says it could you're hitting both ends. But nowadays, on your smartphone, you have the technology of getting a EMF meter mm-hmm. app on your phone. Right. We've registered on those six thousand milligauss positive to six thousand milligauss negative. That's interesting. Yes, I saw that light just dim again. It has been dimming mm-hmm. the whole time you've been talking. It just goes on and off. It's really bright, like it's bright right now, and now it's dimming again. Mm-hmm. Not for me physically. I don't see that like of a brownout scenario in front of me. I mean, I'm looking at the lights here. I'm looking at the lights above me. They haven't changed one bit. Yeah, and there's no – I keep looking at your blinds. There's no movements because I know mm-hmm. I'm sure that, like, you know, the sun must be – you know, it's obviously going down, but there's nothing in the – there's no backlight that's changing weird. It's no, very it interesting. It to be going down and up. You know what I mean for that? <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> that's that's the blinds behind me. It's yeah, really interesting. Ooh, yeah, there is a reflection. Is. If I see something walk behind you, I'm going to be like, um... Hope you walk behind me would be outside on the, to the neighbor's house that's on the side of the hill in between us. Okay. The reflection would probably be in front of us yeah. on the screen. Okay. Mm-hmm. The 50-inch monitor that I'm looking at you guys on. This is wild. That's well, crazy. I do that because, like I said, if you want to get an idea, I've got... 30 cameras, five outside and 25 inside. So when you want to go reviewing footage, the last thing you want to do is like in a 19 inch monitor, I'm looking at a one inch thing. Thinking, <laughs> right. Can I see there? Yeah. You know, you need a big monitor to see the whole, you know, the visual of what your video is of. That way when, for instance, last night we were watching footage. It went and just did it again. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys mind you trying to mess with my gut trying time on camera? Don't be a bitch about it and deal with it. I'm on the camera. You're not. You want to manifest right over my shoulder, but stop messing with the lights. It's not polite. It makes me look bad, okay? <laughs> look bad. Wave in the window. We'll see you. It's okay. Right. Just free. manifest over this shoulder right here. There's a nice spot for that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, Laura, lean back. Like you just did. All right, back again. Forward. Hmm, weird. Your light kind of went weird, too. I noticed Oh, that. it's probably just because I'm moving, but, you know. Yeah. No, it was a flash of, of darkness. It was, right. yeah. Oh, it? Great, now they're coming over here. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Oh, not that for you. God, I'm That's crazy. Um, 
What question did you have? You had some questions for him too, Lo, didn't you, Laura? I sure did. Um, so what do you think is the most like shocking thing that has happened or you've captured in the house? Zach Bag is running experience. out of my house was shocking. What made him run out of your house? The spirits didn't like him. Really? I'm not, I'm not surprised. I, I see this in a way that they'll kind of pierce a lot of people's um, vision of him. Sure. But in the totality of the time that he's occupied on t- in the space on TV, all I've ever heard from him is a disrespectful, disingenuous hack. But the idea that you're crossing the, the, the parameters of decency and respectability yeah. in a hope to garner attention from these spirits on the other side by insulting them and berating them and trying to challenge them and being big macho Bilbo Baggins' nephew doesn't really pan out. And spirits are like going, if we get our chance to kick you upside the head, you're going to pay dearly for every stinking insulting piece of yeah. trash propagated on TV and how you treated us and others that have, that, have, that have done nothing to you, but that you've decided to berate, parade around as your tools, as your toy, as your acumen of the ability to produce a spirit and to deal with demons and stuff. It was just yeah. becoming, becoming so so over overdone and so hackneyed and so retor- retorted it, not retarded but it was just like such a retort against spirits like they're all demons and it's like you claim every gosh darn spirit's a demon and then you crap on the people who allow you to go in their homes to do your show like bloody mary in new orleans like the mm-hmm. guy up in washington in seattle who had his problems and you later on after you on they were on your show you changed your story. You berated them, and you told the people that their houses weren't haunted. You maligned them. You've done to the living is what you do to the dead. Your, your disrespect is, has no boundaries. And when he came here, and he spent what was it? They started their show at nine o'clock. They were going to go from nine to three in the morning for a six-hour lockdown. Okay. They started running the cameras at nine o'clock. I went to the top of the stairs. And, and basically was looking around thinking to myself, this is going to be hell. They start, they were trying to roll the cameras, and all of a sudden, everything complete. Everything died. And I said, what's wrong? He goes, all the batteries in the cameras have just failed. I said, all the batteries? Not one. You got three cameramen here yeah. and the guy outside. All four, he goes, all four batteries are dead. And I said, so they went into the van to grab a backup. Sure. All dead. Oh shit! They said we have to reschedule. We needed we needed an hour to charge the batteries up and the backup batteries. So they did that. So at ten o'clock they started to do the show. And after seeing this, I said, "There's going to be hell to pay." And I said, "I'm scared to death." <laughs> I am like, I'm like hearing the, the I'm hearing like the drum roll before the execution. <laughs> uh, oh God, I've got to do something. I got to do something. So I walk up, walk in the house, and right before they, they asked me to leave, I said, I got to do something. So I walk back in the house, I march into the top of the staircase, and I'm looking down the stairwell, and I said, spirits, I know you are fucking pissed off. I know you are really upset. I know you want to shit 
and tear them limb from limb and you want to make them pay for what they've done because you got to remember they were here when I say they the production company comes in I think it was a Thursday so they came in on Monday to, to shoot so it's Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday oh wow now this is the breakdown of how it goes the first day was interviews with me and walking through the house and getting my story okay Second day was interviews with other people and going through the uh, their stories and doing. In their case, they had to do some some footage that was shot off can off out off location here. I mean, they didn't shoot it here. They shot sure. it with Barry Taff at a hotel. They shot it with Dre Fordham somewhere else. That the woman with her story. Then the third day was B roll and reenactments of stuff. Okay, all right, makes sense. All right, makes sense. The thing of the girl coming down the street covered in blood, wearing the nightgown. They shot that oh. on Wednesday night, the night before. Yeah. And they shot all this fog machine stuff. So I loaned them one of my fog machines because they didn't have one. And when they were shooting the sequence of that girl pregnant walking up the street clutching the pregnancies, the Sharon Tate visage or apparition from the Dre Fordham story, I started snapping pictures. And in one of the pictures, there's this ball of light pouring out of this girl's stomach. And I'm like, what the hell is that? And I'm looking through all the other pictures, nothing like that. And she's basically wearing a nightgown, a white polyester nightgown. There are no lights in behind her because that would be flooding the camera and all you sure. see is a sweat. Right. So she's got lights on and she has nothing on her that's reflective. So this one picture, I got chills down my spine. I was like, well, oh, no shit. And I heard the spirits say, we're going to make them pay. Uh, because of this whole enact, this whole re- reenactment of the Sharon Tate clutching a baby, covered in blood, supposedly. It's not great. Yeah. yeah. I it's don't love it. Shit. I said, it's so oh, tacky. I said, don't do that. I don't believe that story is real. I think it's a fraud. I think it's a phony. I think you're, you're really... Tweaking the spirits in the nose and asking for hell. Yeah. So the following night, they did the, the actual lockdown. So after what I said to them, I said, you know, I went to the top of the stairs. And I said to the spirits, I was thinking that you've got every right to kick their asses and to kill them. But I said, don't. I said, do not harm them. Don't do anything permanent. I said, it really would not look good for me. Honestly, it's the truth. <laughs> I, said, I said, what are you going to gain? by?" I said, I said, don't fucking mess with them. I said, I know you want to kill them, but don't fuck them up. Yeah. So I, I said, I really appreciate it. I love you all. I said, just don't do it, please. Heed my warning, whatever that means. So as I walk out the front door, the executive producer runs up and he goes, what the hell was that? I said, what was what? Like I was performing some ritualistic act or performance art for them. And I'm going... You mean what I just said at the top of the stairs? I said, I'm praying, I'm asking, I'm pleading with the spirits so that they don't kick your ass. Not to harm you guys. Mm-hmm. And hurt you and yeah. your team. I said, that's what the hell that was. I said, it wasn't any goddamn act. So he goes, I want you to go back and do that again, but I want the PG version. And I said, well, he goes, yeah, we want a camera on you and we want to shoot that and do that. We, you know, we'll do as a reenact, you know, we'll do it as you, I said, and I said, fine, 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 fine. I signed the contract. I know the deal. I won't sit there and say no. Whatever gets you out of my house faster. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, you know, something fine. I said it was done in honesty and with integrity. 
and with sincerity. It wasn't done as some kind of like, oh, look at me, look at me, I need your attention. Sure. It was like, don't kill them. I know you want to beat the crap out of them and you want to tear them limb from limb, but don't. Yeah. So I did it. And that's what you see on the show mm-hmm. in the episode. So how long and had you, how long had you been living there before Ghost Adventures filmed at your house? Let me see. 2013, I think it was 2013, 13, 13, 13, 13. Sure, 14. I want to say 2012 or 2013. So I'd lived here for, you know, and the thing is, is the first show I was on was My Ghost Show, which is in 2006. Then we did Ghost Hunters. Then I did Haunted History, Paranormal Witness. Loved Paranormal um, Witness. Mm-hmm. I love that show. <laughs> the one with the gosh on house where they cut to the house. The, his David's house is on a flat paddle and it's a three story up. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. And the guy, everybody looks like everybody else. God, everybody in the show. Alma looks like Alma. Jeff looks like Jeff. Cashmere looks like Cashmere. I don't look anything like that. I remember you story. telling me that. The guy that portrayed it's you, you were like, that's not me. I don't know if this falling in like a George Costanza's brother. He didn't like the actor. <laughs> no, I didn't. And I stick under for the other show. It's like, and my house doesn't go three stories up. It goes three stories. And the Down, worst part yeah. is, I told the producers when they were here shooting, I said, look, why don't you use my house? I said, I'll be happy to let you use my house for next to nothing. Instead of, sh- oh, no, we, we shoot in Canada. We do our locations. And I said, where are you going to get a house that looks like this fucking house? Come on. In Canada, right. yeah. Right, yeah. Even in, anywhere. Forget in Canada. There's not many houses that are on a hillside no. that are like this type of design that look like this house. Yeah. And that's what I said. I said sure. Furthermore, I said, I'll, I'll play myself in the fucking thing if you like it. I said, don't, you're not going to get somebody that looks like this little girl, Tom Cruise. And I said, oh, joy. (laughs) I remember you telling me that, that he really just did not like the guy that portrayed him in Paranormal Witness. He didn't look anything like me. He didn't. He didn't. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to find the guy that plays the lead. There's where you went off the fucking rails and said, let's get somebody that looks nothing like him. Nothing like him. Yeah. That's super fun. So, <laughs> so then, what? So then, okay, you had asked the spirits not to harm Zach Biggins and his crew. What did yeah, they end up exactly. doing? No. So, no. let's see. Halfway through the thing, the sh- like an hour and a half into it, Jay says to me, he "Goes David, listen to this." So he gives me the headphones, and I'm like listening, and I hear this this sound of footsteps. And I hear crunch, 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 crunch. I said, where's the, this microphone? He goes, that's the boom mic that's at the bottom of the staircase. And I started laughing. I said, I, I guess I inadvertently made a ghost trap. And Jay says, because what do you mean? He said, well, um, the landing at the bottom of the, the third floor at the landing is carpet. I said, when we tore out the original carpet, my cats had basically gone to town on the carpeting and made it a peace spot. And unfortunately, I found out when we tore up the carpet that it was there. And the carpet guy said, look, the only thing you can do to stop this is to put a vapor barrier between the foam padding and the backing of the carpet. (coughs) Okay. 
And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, the foam padding acts like a sponge and it is sponge. So when the cats pee on it, the carpet, it goes through the backing, goes into the sponge. So even if you use a rug doctor, all you're going to extrapolate is the carpet, is the pee in the backing of the carpet. Right. That that is fitted into the foam padding is stuck. Done. It's yeah. trapped. It'll never come out. And it keeps on having the cats come and be pinging over that same spot. Okay. So I so said, what do you do? He goes, you got to get some like three millimeter thick plastic and put it down between the backing of the carpet and the padding. So there's the vapor barrier. So when you extract the, the back, when you use the rug doctor, all of the pee will be on the plastic and it'll come out. It won't get into the foam. I said, okay. Wow. All right. When you put it down and you have the backing of the carpet on top of it, in between the fe- the foam, you walk on it, you hear <laughs> the sound of the crunching of the plastic on oh. the backing of the carpet meeting. So I said, who's in the house? He goes, no one's in the house. I said, that's not possible. He goes, well, listen. And you can hear the sounds of footsteps going from the landing into the get into the theater room through the door. Wow. And it's and that the door, sound. You can hear the door close and stuff, too? I said, that's what we got, Jay. If no one's in the house and, and you're hearing that sound, that's what that is. And he was like, strange but true. And then wow. Zach was, like I said, going through the house and... I think in the order of things that are taking place, Nick, you know, Zach goes down and they hear the voices. So then they all come back up and they send Nick down. Okay. And Nick goes down and he's having his meltdown. And I'm watching Zach, Nick, I mean, Zach, Aaron, and Jay sitting in the back of the van watching the monitor cracking up. And I said, what are you guys doing? I said, he's having a problem down there. Whether or not it's practical and actually happening and it can't be seen on camera or it's occurring in his mind only makes no difference. Because for all purposes, in his mind, it's practical and it's happening. Right. And whatever the influence and the sources is secondary to the fact that he's having an issue and you guys need to go down there and bail his ass out. And they kept laughing and I just kept watching this. And this is... What you don't see is it's edited on television. Sure, yeah. This is mm-hmm. two minutes, and I'm going. And I finally got to the point where I'm hearing Nick go screaming, carrying on. And I said, if you assholes don't go down there and get his ass right this second, yeah. I said, I will tear up the fucking contract that I signed with you, and I will go in there because no son of a bitch shit is going to happen maliciously on my watch where somebody's having a meltdown, whether or not it's him thinking it. Where it's it's happening. It's actually it's happening. I'm not going to let that happen because that's willful, malicious behavior. So I said, "That's it." And I said, "I'm giving you guys the next ten seconds." And basically, finally, they got around to going. He was all right. Let's go do it. Let's go get Nick. Go down there, and they brought Nick up. And Nick then lifts his shirt up, and he's got this red mark on his stomach. Oh my god! And I'm like, "Wow, you guys really pissed him off." They didn't scratch him. And I like, you know, it's just like a rub. It looks like just a red rub, like somebody rubbed you. Sure. And you had an allergic, thank you, allergic reaction. But in a way that you saw a line of it, it was a small, like, sure. Long, maybe three Mm -hmm. inches long, but it it was sensitive to the touch. And he thought it was, ooh, it burns. Like somebody just like basically went like, rubbed their finger against your skin and, irritated it enough where it hurt. Right. Like a rub burn like your older brother used to give you. 
Exactly. <laughs> kind of like yeah. that, yeah. And it was just a small little, you know, enough that then then Zach went down and had his thing where he's hearing the voices, and then he comes back upstairs, and there's no cameras there, and I'm sitting on the front in front of the house, and I hear the front door, I hear the footsteps, I hear the door open up, I hear, I turn, I see Zach take two steps off the the uh, the stairs going in the two stairs leading into the entryway of the house and falls down the pavement in front of the house and I go what the fuck I said Zach you okay and I'm the first one up to him and he's like going I don't know it goes my stomach oh my god my head oh my head and he's like his eyes are like zipping out and going and then the, the executive producer and the producer runs up to him Zach you okay and there's no cameras on him right. And he's right, like, so he's not just, faking it for the for the show or anything. Oh, this isn't some bullshit for the show. This was no act. Mm. Who's he acting for? He ain't acting for my benefit. Right, exactly. So he's just like going, I'm just, my head is just, oh my God, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Oh God. And then they went back in the house and like a half an hour later, at one o'clock, they come marching up and walk, marching out the front door and that was it. And I said, guys, you have another three hours left. It's one o'clock. We got to four in the morning. And I'll never forget him saying, we got enough evidence. Yeah, we got plenty of evidence. We got more than enough evidence. We're done. We're leaving. Goodbye. Wow. It was the last I saw them. And then the following day on Saturday, because I left Friday morning at like five in the morning, I called up uh, Jeff Belanger, the executive producer. I said, so how are the boys doing? And he goes, they're sick in bed. At the hotel. I said, who? It was Aaron, Jay, you know, I think it was Aaron, Nick, and Jay, and Zach were all bedridden. Wow. And I don't even know if Jay was so much so, but but this went on for like three days. So they were stuck in their hotel room bedridden. And I said to him, I said, well, I said, I told you, I told you, I warned you, I warned you about doing that reenactment. I said, it was the worst thing you could have done. You totally disparaged the spirits. I said, you did a terrible thing in that. And I think that, you know, that kind of stuff shouldn't be looked down, looked upon lightly and taken lightly. I said, you didn't listen. I said, you you really, you know, and there was no kind of response to it. What is he going to say? Right. And that was it. That is crazy. Is there something moving in front of you? So, off to, let's see, I guess your left. Right. Yeah, so over your left, in the window, there. what is that, ref- what is behind, behind you in the window? Like, what is that window overlook? You can see his reflection a little bit in there. You can see, yeah, I can see his reflection. All right. <laughs> <laughs> But oh, but no. Over his shoulder, I saw something move. Is there? Could something be moving in the? Is it trees that are out that window? Well, there's a tree there. I mean, yeah, go on here. Yeah, I think it's a tree. But I saw it move like in the room. It's a reflect. It was reflected in the glass. Oh, I see. Shut up. Okay. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it now. Yeah, it must be the right. tree. There's only really a slight reflection. Well, it's still got the reflection over here. Yeah. yeah, it was over. Yeah, it was over your left shoulder, but it was a reflection in the window, so it would have occurred in in, in front room. of your desk in your in the room right. with you. 
It was reflected oh, we'll in the window. To, we'll have to pull it yeah. and see what see what. Yeah. Well, now that the window's open, that's interesting. Yeah, I've been looking at it like just to see, and I just happen to see something move over his shoulder, and I'm like, "Can somebody be out there? Is the wind blowing?" But it looks like it was reflected in the glass, so it's coming from behind his computer. Right. Like in front of it. I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Which would be like in front of you. Which would be like in front of you. Crazy. Yeah. Monitor's right in front of the camera. The camera's literally three inches in front of the uh, monitor. Yeah, so it was something, and it was something that's like over high up reflected in the glass of the window. That's a, we'll have to take a leather look at it. Interesting. And have him send it so, to me. What kind of stuff happens there, you know, most often, would you say? Is it stuff like this that they're kind of playing with you, kind of messing around, or? Um, well, again, you guys are seeing it. I'm not. I, I'm not privy to anything that you're expressing to me. It's not like I'm seeing stuff like one. Yeah, 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 no, no, no. It's <laughs> no. I mean. But just on a day-to-day basis, what is yeah, like some like, house, like what do you or the people that come there experience the most? Do you think like is it like kind of weird stuff with lights? Are they touching people or well, that, yeah, that voices? Yeah, that happens. The third level. The last night we were down there and we were talking, and all of a sudden the lights started acting up. And I'm going, and I said, "That's enough. Could you guys stop it?" So it stops like two seconds, and then it starts going up. I said, "I said for more than two seconds." I said, "I got the bit." <laughs> I said, you're taking me literally, aren't you? Um, <laughs> but it, it, here's the thing is, uh, for, more, for, most, for the most part, time out. Reggie, is that you? Reggie. Come here. Don't go going upstairs and taking a leak on the floor. Get over here. <laughs> Come here. I know it's you because your sister's sound a goddamn sleep because she sleeps during the day. Come here, Reggie. This is my dog, Reggie. Come over dog, here. Dog, okay. Come here. Come here. Come over here. Come on. Good boy. All right, get up here. Say hi. Come here. That's a boy. Say hi. Oh, hi, Reggie. Oh, no. oh, I can see oh, you. Oh, hi. Oh, hi, baby. Reggie. Hi. Don't look at me. Look at the camera. Mm -hmm. David um, is on Instagram and he he does a lot of videos uh, taking Reggie and his dogs out for a walk. So I've seen Reggie before. Yeah. You're staying here. We're animal lovers here. So we are. Yes. Uh, We're suckers. (laughs) We are suckers. So, oh, yeah, pets. <laughs> I put them on camera too, right? <laughs> what did I miss? Shit, I heard, I heard voices. I don't know what those. They have birds now. Okay, um, good. I was like, "What is that sound?" Oh, birds. All right. <laughs> Not humans. Definitely birds chattering. Um, what it is is most of the people have their experiences, and I don't have those experiences. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Meaning that, you know, the, the spirits do their thing. And it's like, well, David doesn't need to know about this. This isn't going to help him feel better about things. So I don't see as much as you guys do, if that makes sense. Um, that does make sense. But by now, they, kinda, they, they, they yeah, like you. They, they kind of leave you be. And then they fuck with everybody else that comes in. Well, I mean, they, they fuck with me, too. I mean, let's be honest. It's not like I'm not, <laughs> that I'm off limits. 
but mm. they do it in a way where it's like I, I when they do it with me it makes youtube or it makes my it you save the video um mm-hmm. The example of that would be in November when I was walking down the hallway at a quarter to two and doing laundry, and I threw my hands up and thought to myself, Spirits, I got you covered. And then we hear this. And I'm like, what the f*** is that? And then I review the footage, and it's like, oh, it's not just that. You know, they, they were talking. There was a spirit in the guest bedroom that made a sound that goes, and I'm going, the hell was that? That happened three seconds before the sound of the knock, knock. And it's just strange stuff like that. So when they want to get my attention, they, they get my attention. But for the most part, for instance, last night, they, two people, there were three, there were four. There was four of them. There were four people last night and myself. And two people went down the staircase and we were in the uh, the laundry room, and you can hear the sound of clank, clank as they're making their way down the staircase to the lowest level. And they said, did you hear that? And it's like, hear what? So we reviewed the footage, and you can hear somebody hitting the railing. Bang, bang. Really? Wow. And, oh, shit. I've never heard that before. So it's, in my case... A lot of things happen to other people that I've never experienced, and there are things that I've had experienced that are not shared with other people. Sure. And there are things that are usually shared, like, for instance, the faucets turning on by themselves. I think in the time that I've been here, there have been four reports of that occurring here. Four, four. Now. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it looks like, it's like, no, then my hand's not straightened out. But yeah, four reports. Twice it's happened to me, and. Mm. Two other times happened to two other individuals. Huh. And it's, and it's, it, the res, their responses were both, they freaked out. Me, I was like, that's cool. I said, I appreciate it. But, you know, we're going through a freaking drought. So let's lay off the water gags for the most part, okay? No yeah. water gags. I do have a water bill, guys. Help me out here. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Because it's the times that when you catch it, it's one thing. Think about the times you don't catch it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, I, here's an example. I'd just gone to um, Ralph's last, what was it, Monday or Tuesday? I think it was Monday. And I picked up 13 racks of baby back ribs because they're on sale for two eighty eight a pound. And I've got a six or an eight cubic foot um, upright freezer where I've stored mm-hmm. all these racks of ribs and I've got like 40 racks. Wow. And I went down to put, I was I had no space in my standard freezer, so I had to use the refrigerator freezer in the third level in the earthen wall room. And I remember clearly putting in the 13 racks and shutting the goddamn door. Uh oh. <laughs> I went down there on Thursday or Friday of last week, four, three days later, for some reason. And I was being told, you gotta go down there. You gotta go down there. So I'm going down. I go down there and I see the goddamn freezer, the small freezer on top of the refrigerator. The door is ajar this far. And I'm like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> thinking, oh my God, it's 150. All this meat. Yeah, right. It's bad. So, and sure enough, the bottom rack is frozen, and the the, 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 the ones on top of it are a little thawed, uh, not thoroughly thawed out, but are cold. But I looked at the goddamn thermometer; it says forty-seven degrees. I'm going, thank you for telling me to come down here. Now, who's the asshole that opened the freaking door up and did that to me? I'm really pissed at <laughs> you, son of a bitch. 
So do they ever say, oh, hey, yeah, it's me, so-and-so, I did that? Do they, do they ever? No, but we hear voices saying stuff like last night we heard, we heard voices talking, and it wasn't like, who was it? We couldn't tell, but it was definitely a woman's voice talking in the background. Okay. And I'm like, I heard that. Yeah. Oh, yes. Again, with the cameras throughout the house, we were able to immediately go in and watch it firsthand and go, wasn't the, any of the four or five of us. It yeah. was all quiet in the house. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's just so cool because you guys can find everything that happens in there. So yeah, cool. what's interesting is, is she heard the voice in the – we were in the laundry area on the uh, on the run – what is it? The egress to the outside door, and we listened to one camera that was close to her, and it was faint. We listened to the camera that was further from her. She could hear it clear, and we listened to the camera in the dining room and upstairs. You could hear it even clearer. Really? Wow. I love that. So I think that's like a misnomer when you think it's in that room with you and it turns out it's like, well, then how come it's louder on a floor above you? Right, exactly. Where there's nobody. Right. How many hours? Now, you've lived in the house for this will be your 20th year living in the house, correct? Yeah. How many the- hours would you guess you have recorded? of phenomena happening in your house over the last 20 years? Um, well, it's only been the past seven that I've had the cameras installed in the okay. house. We, before that, we had people coming in in 2004 and 2005 to do investigations and such. Okay. Um, and I... God, how many hours? That's, that's a great question. I... Um, just a I mean, guess. I've got some footage that's never seen before. I mean, I've got an investigation. The first investigation that was ever held here in 2004 that I put together that had the three psychics come in um, from different locations were brought in. They weren't communicating with one another. They weren't told where they were going, but one in at a time. Interview, you know, let them go through the house, then interviewed them, then returned them to theirs location brought the next one in did the same thing sure and then at the end of the evening brought them back collectively to talk to them in a group roundtable discussion and hear what their collective thoughts were and then told them where they were that was about god it's absolutely three cameras it's probably like maybe like 12 hours like 10 hours 10 hours of footage from that um and that's just one example of one of the things that we've got that's never been seen by the public so i'd say probably Guesstimating probably about 30, 40 hours of footage total. And again, footage isn't like long. That's it's a like lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of stuff, though. Little. Yeah. Yeah. It's a document. It is. It really is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, like I said, the footage we shot in 2004 was shot three months before Ghost Adventure, Ghost Hunters ever aired, which was the first paranormal reality TV show ever. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's what's funny. Is I, I was doing this stuff before these shows came out because mm-hmm. I wanted to have the, you know, document it for my own edification, for sure. my own purposes to know what was going on. The idea was that that footage, I'd like to use it and show it to people and say, this is old, but you've never seen it before and no one's ever seen it before. And what's yeah. interesting is... It's still valid, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It was like, I'm trying to sharp stab in the back of my head. I remember one of them saying, it feels like it's being crushed in the back. I'm going, Ooh. amazing. Yeah. Again, 
we keep them in the dark because I don't want them to know where they I don't want them to paint a picture from like, oh, there's the picture. Let me paint this. I want them to use their inner eye to pick up what they're picking up on, relate that to us. Right. And then be able to say, all right, here's where you were. Here's what we what, what the story was. How does that plug into? And they go, oh, my God. Now it makes it all make sense. It all makes perfect right. sense. Yeah. And, you know, Laura and I talk a lot on the show about the power of suggestion. And oh, completely. Yeah, so we completely right. understand the importance of you doing that with people that maybe aren't aware of your house or the location that they're mm-hmm. in. Or so, yeah, it's it's certainly something that is. Um, God, we we mention it a bunch on, uh, on, almost on the every show. show. I think almost when we start every discussing yeah. evidence, and especially the ones when we do our mm-hmm. own investigations of places. You know, when you know you're going into some place and you know the history and you know everything, it's very easy, I think, sometimes to read into things that may, you know, that can play. Your mind is such a strong, (laughs) strong thing. It can really allow you to pick up on things that may or may not be there. And I think that you doing that, making things go, you know, making it blind, just like you would a real scientific experiment. Right? Exactly. so important. That was exactly it. I want to keep Mm -hmm. it very scientific. I figured... As a skeptic, what's going to make me listen more than showing people the truth by showing it to them in a way that would convince a lot of people of the credibility factor that I wasn't trying to give it all away up front. I wanted the audience to know that I figured, let's keep these people in the dark. Let's mm-hmm. see what they come up with. Mm-hmm. Let's yeah. not them anything. Let's just see if this is real. Because... What's to be gained by knowing in advance what you're going to be tested on? Right. Exactly. You don't. You have nothing to prove. But if you keep them in the dark and they don't know, the as I like to say when we when it was occurring and what I've seen the footage, it's riveting because these people, if, again, if what I'm saying is true and they're picking up this information, it's wild. Yeah. Because. One woman, because right. this woman pleading with her baby, she says, help my baby, but I can't help her baby. The baby's dead. And I'm like, oh, oh my God. Nuts. This is nuts. And I can't say a thing right. because it's not for me to tell them anything. It's for me to be mm-hmm. the objective observer and just to film what I've got going on. And that's right. what the beauty of it was. It wasn't like I'm telling them what room to go in. I didn't even tell them mm-hmm. what happened in any rooms before they got there. So it's not like, well, in this room, it's hot. I'm like, when you have the run of the house, we're just going to follow you. You go where you want to go, and we'll follow away. Yeah. I love that. I think that's right. wonderful. I think it's really cool. I really yeah, because you're not going to get a placebo effect. You know what I mean? Kind of like where people think, like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is happening. Again, I think that is so important because, we, again, we talk about it all the time. As a skeptic, I mean, I want to see stuff that's real. And if, I, you know, if there's an explanation for it, I want to look for the alternative explanation. But if there isn't one, and I have been stymied in experiences that we've been, Carrie and I have done in our investigations, I'm like, well, I can't fucking explain that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the stuff, like I said, the correlation is, is each one was independent of the other, and they're picking up the same things in the same spots, and you go on. That's 100%. interesting. That is, they're yeah. They're not like... Well, I went through the house, and by the way, when you go into the best, no, 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 I didn't want that. None of that I happened. I remember seeing a show called Dead Famous Live, and or Dead Famous, and they had the psychics going through doing the the search for the, for Jack the Ripper, and one <laughs> psychic says, "Because I see a man with a pocket watch," 
And the other one follows him and goes, yes, I do. T- I, yes, he's very concerned with time. What? The fuck? <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Wow. That's interesting. And I said, there's nothing, there's no gaining that storyline from, from people just being stupid about things. Right. So I, like, oh, I can't buy that. So I wanted to up the ante and make it seem more interesting and more credible to an audience yeah. than just. So you, you know, haven't released like, what you're talking about. Are you planning to anytime or just? Well, if I can find somebody that'd be interested in developing a three-part or four-part docu-series about the house for TV, yeah. Kind of like That'd what they cool. did with the Cecil Hotel, except I've got footage that's never been seen before. I've got stories mm-hmm. that, you know, could be told by the people that actually experienced them. You know, I think that the idea for my docuseries, which I've tried to pitch to people, it's like, oh, they're not going to want to hear that. It's like, yeah, I think they would. I think they'd appreciate it because the credibility factor and the fact that it's not presented like the same old song and dance that you've seen. Yeah. Right. You know, like I said, you know, it's interesting because it's not, I'm tired of seeing what every people have done. I'm tired of watching the Cecil Hotel. Now, people, let's, since we're talking about it, David, people have actually suggested that you might be exploiting the Tate murders by going on to these various paranormal shows and things like that. What do you have to say to folks that, that suggest that about you? Yeah, right. Then, then they might as well take the people at Lizzie Borden's house. Exactly. The, mm-hmm. the, house, mm-hmm. the people at the Queen Mary. I mean, let's be serious here. I don't have a business operation. I don't run a commercial operation here. I've rented the house out on occasion. I've done a few shows. But let's be honest here. I'm not writing books making hypotheses of QAnon status about the Sharon Tate murders and about the the involvement of her father in army special ops or psych ops or something and being involved in any of that. I don't have any connections to that. I don't have any books and lectures that I'm promoting or anything like that. So it's kind of like, yeah, claim all you want, but you better have something to back up your your statements to show that there's some connection where I'm actually making some kind of a living off of that. Right. Right. Said is that, the stuff that they show on the on the house in these shows is their opinions. They show what they wish to show. They show their slice of the story. When I've said before, that is the tippy tip of the iceberg of what's going on here. Yeah, the fact that spirits visit yeah. here. They're one. They're they're the tiniest of smallest of percents of activity that's connected to this house. Meaning that I consider them in the sense in a, pro- a proportionality of like a grain of sand. One grain of sand at a beach. That yeah. One grain of sand is there. Those collection of those five spirits, and there's millions of other spirits that have been through this house that people have told me about that have nothing to do with the murders. Yeah. So that's that's why Doctor Taft called the place the Mount Everest of haunted houses and the Disneyland for the dead was because <laughs> when people come in the house, the spirits that are around them can manifest here much more easily. And we've seen this happen before. Which I think is a very, I think that is fascinating phenomenon because I don't, I think a lot of people don't realize that there might be spirits that are attached to them, be it just whatever, like wherever they happen to have been or it's loved ones or whatever. 
So More I think, loved ones. I don't believe in the idea when you say that wherever they've been. You could be a million places. If 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 in fact, let's 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 take that statement. If in fact spirits are jumping on to people, what happened to the spirits that are at that location? Do they not? Do, does that does that location then evaporate of spirits? If every right. time somebody goes in there, how many spirits? How many spirits? Yeah, countless spirits in this location. Are we what taking attendance of the spirits? Spirits are not just grabbing one of them. It's like the old saying: if, if you go to Hawaii, they said, "Do not take a piece of black of lava home because yeah. if you do." It's cursed. It's like, no, because if you do and everybody takes a piece of fucking lava, there won't be any fucking island of Hawaii. There went Hawaii. What do you think the gosh darn island's made of? It's made of lava. If everyone took a souvenir home from Calico Ghost Town, there'd be no Calico Ghost Town left. Yeah. That's right. what people don't realize. And the same thing for spirits. If you can't say there's an infinite amount of spirits in this location, and therefore every time somebody goes home, one spirit jumps onto that person and goes home with them. Well, if you only got a hundred spirits in location, how many people can have those spirits going on with them? Till there's a hundred people have been in, a hundred spirits have been in the house, and then there's none left. Well, so much more. Right. Great, the ha- <laughs> great, the hauntings are gone. No one takes a rational application to what they say, and I go, really? So what do they do? They have to hitchhike to go back home. How many days do they stay with you? Do they have yeah. to go, don't they have to go back home sometime? Aren't they homesick? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, right. yeah. Well, know. and then that's that's also like that leads into the different types of phenomenon that there is. So the intelligent haunts, the residual haunts. What what do you have? Is right, it a mixture a of all of it? All you, all you, what you just said was was a theory. Yes. Remember that. Right. Remember that that residual haunts. Uh, what would the, what would the, the battle off the other uh, intelligent haunts? Intelligent haunts. Then they're the spasmatic haunts, you know. They can't get anything right. They just well, the ones that know that they're interacting with you, or what about the ones that that are like on a loop? That maybe they're just sort of like on a tape recording, and they're just kind of like walking through the same wall or redoing, like replaying the same, replaying the loop or looped on a loop. If they're on the loop, they're doing this. If they're looped, they're doing this. I'm looped. Maybe they're on a I'm loop yeah. while they're looped. What do you have? Do you have spirits that don't interact with you at all that are just there? Or do you have ones that are doing like what you've been doing all evening, which is talking to them? Crochet is what I just heard. They're doing crochet. I love it. So they're crafty. Okay. That seems right. like an intelligent. <laughs> you might call them crafty. I think they're just like, we're getting shit done. Right. No, again, I don't believe in, after living for this many years, I've kind of decided that every theory that man has created about the paranormal field is pretty much a wash and bullshit. Okay. Because I, I, I think that we, as humans, we want to, uh, we want to categorize every freaking thing. To kind of try to understand it better, yeah. Tiny little box, and we put that on the shelf, and that's where it is. That's not the way it fucking works, I don't believe. My personal belief is that a lot of that stuff is just man's ego again trying to deal and rationalize what's going on. Yeah. And because it has to fit into this, I'm going, really? Um, Just like a lot of the stories from, I believe, uh, Jolly Old England and the Tower of London of seeing Anne Boleyn walking around the the um, the grounds, that the courtyard, yeah, under her arm. 
I think that's that's myth on top of myth on top of projection probably of human beings' thoughts. I, but but again, that's a residual haunting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Meaning, I'm not saying that that is what it is. I'm saying that's what they put on. That's, that's what they've categorized right, they that as. Yeah. She mm-hmm. She's her head. When did she ever walk around in life with her head tucked under her arm? <laughs> yeah. She never did. Because once her head was cut off, she was dead. That she was didn't right. just jump up. Her body didn't jump up, grab her head, and walk around in the historical records. Like, oh, look at me. Look at me. Look what you've done to me. Yeah. No, I don't buy that. I don't. I don't. Again, I think there's a lot of BS to that story. Oh, thousands of people yes. know because one person said it. Everybody after that person said, I want to see the same fucking thing. I yeah. can't let you be the only one that had that experience. I need to. Yeah, I That's need to be like, yes, that happened to me too. And then you get I the power of suggestion, like what we talked about earlier. One person yeah. sees yeah. it. They Why see not, They no. see it's very foggy in London. <laughs> they see some fog. You know, they're like, oh, oh, it's Amberlynn. There's her head. Yeah, right. <laughs> I just don't think that. I, and again, I don't. I think that there are stories in history that are countenances going back to even ancient Greece about the appearance of an apparition talking mm-hmm. to somebody. Yeah. But it wasn't threatening. It wasn't a ghoulish thing. It wasn't the composing, mm-hmm. rotting skin and stuff. I think that's more, as you say, fictionalized stuff and story based stuff and stuff that came right. about from campfires, but less to do with reality. Right. More to do with sensationalism, dramatics, and scaring the crap out of people. Right. Yeah. And from my own personal experience of seeing the apparition of Sharon, of Jay Sebring, he didn't look any way like he did when he was alive or died the way he did. He wasn't wearing the clothes he was wearing. Sure. And again, going to Alma's story, if we take that as a credible statement, when she saw that apparition, she didn't even think it was a, she thought it was just a person in the house and was my girlfriend. Yeah. To, to you feel like or he didn't think anything of it or even so much so that she didn't even think it was a ghost she just thought it was a person in the house right yeah very corporeal nothing she didn't say it was anything translucent just a woman just hi mm-hmm. okay just my girlfriend yeah i wish right <laughs> wow your girlfriend's she quite was beautiful man she was stunning right, like she, she was my girlfriend i'd be like one <laughs> All right. Well, then let's let's take it a little bit away from the paranormal. So now that aspect aside, um, given how famous that your home has become, um, do you have other things (laughs) that have happened there as far as like people driving by or looky loose coming to try and take a picture, you know, for more of a curiosity seeking fan type standpoint, do you have that happen? What do you think is what the spirit said? You just answered your own question. You, I mean, <laughs> but is it to the point where, like, you would want to call the police because they're maybe becoming, they're harassing you? Like, people just walking up and trying oh, no, to get no, no, in no, your no, house no. or anything people like that? People come up here have always been respectful. Oh, good. And I've always been respectful in, in showing integrity towards them and they're answering their questions. And You know, people are people. What's, I just... You know, if you're afraid of something, you better have a good reason. It better be yeah. of some degree of threat. But no, I've never felt in any way, shape, or form in any jeopardy or the people that I've met up here or crossed paths with that have come up here to go to the Tate Gate to look and take pictures. And yet it happens almost every single day and night. I bet it does. Yeah, I believe that yeah. 100%. I mean, obviously, the height of that would have been during the um, release of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. 
Yeah. We had mm-hmm. thousands of people coming up wow. every Oh my God. Week. I bet. I mean, hundreds of people coming up a day. It was ridiculous. We had cars coming up and then going to the end of the drive and turning around and coming down and then seeing cars, you know, jams going. Yeah. And cars are coming down the driveway at the same time. It was nuts. I don't so, doubt yeah, it. Was, <laughs> okay. What is your feeling on that film? Do you like it? I haven't seen Just- it. I haven't either. I, I saw. I saw it. It's I have no interest. It's I, I, yeah. I didn't really either. Played, I kept on hearing from the spirit saying, "It's going to be exploitive. It's going to be exploitive." And I'm thinking, and I didn't understand. Then I remembered the movie, The Haunting of Sharon Tate, coming out, which was everybody was decrying. And I said, "So it's this filmmaker's take on the murders from different points of view." Yeah. I said, that's mm-hmm. you know, that's his storyline. Whatever you want to say, it's it's despi- despicable. Be my guest. It was what it was. Um, but yeah. what I didn't like about Once Upon a Time was the fact that the end of the movie went so sideways. And, you know, it was a Hollywood and a fairy tale was Once Upon a Time because the giveaway was it was a mm-hmm. fairy tale. Yeah. And I don't like when somebody takes historical figures such as uh, Inglorious Bastards, I found distasteful to a degree. Yes, I'm rooting for the Nazis to be killed. But when you're taking fictional characters and you're placing them with 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 factual real life yeah real mm-hmm. historical figures you're to do this in your, your excuses you're trying to make good on what you would have wished it's like yeah well that's great and dandy but let's be honest here that's a, it's, a, it's a slap in the face to those that that really existed in that time period in the history you know i think it was just distasteful i didn't think that it was i thought it was just just i i, I found it really just disingenuous i didn't like yeah. it yeah it's entertainment but there is a certain line when you cross that line and you go that route and you go, this is, you know, could have happened. It's like, but it didn't. And it's bad to make a statement as it did. As you might want it to have happened, but that doesn't give you the right to go out there and make a movie about it. And the same with Sharon. And like, no, they lived happily ever after. And, and Susan Atkins got destroyed by a flamethrower in a swimming pool. I mean, I saw the clips of the last 15 minutes of the movie and I was like, not horrified. Yeah. I, was, I was just like appalled going, Really? Yeah. Really? This is your idea of trying to venerate them? Sorry, I don't find veneration. I find it despicable. It is. It really <laughs> is. Um, what was interesting tonight, my my son just turned 21 on Wednesday. And when we were getting ready to, we were waiting for you to call in. And I had, he's playing video games with his friend. His room's right next door to my office. And I said, now just keep it down. We were getting ready to record. We've got a guest. And he's like, oh, who, who's, your, who's your guest? And I was like, oh, David Oman. And he was like, I don't know who that is. And I was like, okay, well, he built his home about 150 <laughs> feet away from the Sharon Tate murders. And he goes, I, I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. And I said, what the Sharon Tate murders are, right? Yeah. He, mm-hmm. And I said, Charles Manson. And he was like, I don't know what you're talking about, mom. And I'm like, okay. okay, All right. And I think, um, it got my mom and I to talking about, is that how, is that how it's becoming? Because of course she, you know, she lived through that. She remembers when it happened. She remembers Mm -hmm. it being on the news and all of that. And, um, obviously because, you know, I was born in, you know, 77 and I remember, you know, all every single time one of them came up for um, parole. I've read Helter Skelter. I, you know, so is that, my mom and I got to talking about, is that the way that this story is going to play out generation after generation? Is it going to be, which it should be, I think, where the murderers and the ones who orchestrate it, like Charles Manson, Susan Atkins, all of them, 
fade from consciousness, essentially. But then that also just sort of then means that maybe then their victims fade away as well. And those are the ones that should be remembered and their stories told, I think. I don't know. What are, what are your takes, I think, guys? I, I, think, I think it's difficult to say. That's 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 the uh, process of, of growing older, I guess you could say. <laughs> and the generations, who knows? You never know that the younger generation might, um, as you say, might have somebody that's a standard bearer that says, you know, saying we're going to make something that's a new song. Right, right, right. Come back here. Got you. <laughs> You know, might might end up taking it as their decision to say, you know, saying we're going to reinvigorate the story and re re um, ignite the public interest in it, and that's what it takes. Yeah, you got to remember that. That's um, true. His, you know, time foreshadows everything, covers everything that's gone before it, and people's interest level dissipates. So until yeah. somebody makes a television show or a movie or something else about it, and re. Um, we was it redirect some 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 sunlight or some light onto that? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and it could happen. I mean, it did with with uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Let's not say that it didn't bring attention back and public attention to it. But I just yeah. think that in what it did, it was a little disingenuous because I people that drove up here, you know, talking about the age. age Situation. Yeah, they were younger. Saying, "Where's Where's Cliff's house?" As if it was real. Mm-hmm. Right? Explain that Cliff's house is over in Studio City. That this is the real location. <laughs> house adjacent on a private drive next to Sharon's down yeah. there. Because mm-hmm. Cliff was a fictional character. Yeah, and the fact that you live in a day and age where these fictional characters have become, in some people's minds, real personalities that existed back then. Yeah, and right. Fabricated TV shows that they were on that these fictional characters who never existed could never have been on because they never existed. But people <laughs> believe these people to be real. It's like Leo DiCaprio is present day alive now. I don't think he was alive in 69. Yeah, no. <laughs> and if he was, he was an infant. Right, right. And uh, I'm pretty you know, sure. You know, Cliff and what's his face, they don't exist, but people don't. You know, the word gullible, it's just people don't really listen or pay attention to things. So it's kind yeah. of like, you know, right. you know, no. Yeah, that's true. Well, I think anytime you have the that, like, satanic panic come up, Manson comes up a lot, even after his death. So I think anytime that there's going to be that a crime or something like that comes up that has that undertone or people are assigning as in the satanic vein, I think you're going to find that yeah. Manson comes back up again and yeah. these murders come back up again. And um, no, it doesn't have, you know, every so often you'll see it, you know, pop back up. Yeah. So yeah. Or a musician who wants to, you know, utilize the, the, what is it again? The exploit the, the, the Manson name or the mm-hmm. credit character. You know that happens. Yeah, you right. Know, and Marilyn Manson. Hello. Yeah. Right. Like, exactly. Manson. One hundred percent. Manson is a great example of that. Even um, well, Trent Reznor working in that house um, when he was creating his music, and then um, you know Manson Downward and spiral. right. Yeah, and right. then keeping yeah. the so door and yeah, mm-hmm. putting it in his yeah. record studio that Manson was in New Orleans. Yeah. 
So in New Orleans. So, I mean, all of that, yeah, has that same vein to it, you know. And then Marilyn Manson got blamed for Columbine a lot, you know, for oh, being yeah. an influence to those kids. So, I mean, it does it does come back, you know. It's yeah. cyclical. It is cyclical. You're right. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows? You know, you'll see what happens in generations to come. That's, you know. Yeah, exactly. that's true. That's true. Well, everything gets fashionable again. You know, the '60s came back a lot in the '90s, and now it's '80s. So, you know, I got we got all these kids running around asking me how it was in the '80s, and I'm very annoyed by it. <laughs> right. More like, side to tell me today. <laughs> that I was That's born what in it the was. 1900s. Social media didn't exist. exist. Yeah. 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 So, so my eight-year-old tells me I was born in the 1900s. He thinks it's, mm-hmm. you know, but he doesn't, really, but that's what he really means. And then when he says that, I'm like, I feel like I, I, I'm not that old. I'm not 100 years old, right? <laughs> You're born in the 1900s. Yeah, the last half of it. Last exactly. Of it's right? so, so <laughs> offensive. <laughs> um, all right. Well, David, as we wind down to a close, what is, what is your advice to folks that, um, find themselves living in or buying or, or living in a home that has paranormal activity and spirits. What is your advice to them? What advice? Deal Mm -hmm. with it. There's the spirits are no treat them with respect is the key word. Respect is the key. When you see something, acknowledge it and say, all right, I saw you don't get afraid. We're all going to leave this mortal coil eventually. And the idea that somebody who has before us is coming to visit us is not a threat. It's just their way of saying, hi, how you doing? You know, just coming in to see you, not going, Ugh! they're not rattling a chain and, and ooing on you. <laughs> I got constipation. <laughs> I need some Pepto Bismol. It's killing me. My bowels are ghostly crap. Oh, if I could only use a ghost toilet. I mean, seriously, you know, acknowledge and say, hey, Spirit, what are you doing? All right, so what's going on? And okay. they're disarming the spirit by saying, "Hey, I'm not afraid." They're like, "Okay, well, as a matter of fact, I got a, I got a terrible hemorrhoid here right now. Got any preparation eggs <laughs> in the spirit section of your house? I need some of that. I mean, there's nothing to be afraid of. Just if it happens, just say, "Okay, that was cool," and appreciate it, and say, "Wow, I'm one of the few, few, the smallest percentage of human beings that have ever lived that have had an interaction with a paranormal in- entity." Or a spirit. Yes. Think of yourself blessed. Don't think of yourself as cursed. You're lucky. You're fortunate because most people are dying to see a ghost. Right. Um, and if you have that chance and have the opportunity and have that interaction, you should be like, going, wow, that's a trip. That's great. It isn't going to change your life and make you rich and make you famous. It's an incident. And that's what I'm saying to you. It, it happens. So go on with your life. It's not the end of your life. It's not the beginning of your life. It's just another piece of the puzzle that right. makes up your life. A moment of your journey. Mm-hmm. I love that. I really do love that. Yeah, that's great. Consider yourself blessed. That's yeah. really great. I think that's wonderful. I do. I have no problem. I love. I said, I, I, and I applaud the spirit saying, that was cool. I said, I really love that. I said, you move the object. I said, but don't break any more glasses because I've seen you do that before and it pisses me off. So this is good. That is bad. This is good. That is bad. We got a mutual understanding. We're fine. I think that's wonderful. Because tell, let me be honest with you. It's not like you can hold him up a piece of kryptonite as if it was real. And you're like, and there's Superman. And, oh, my God, it's kryptonite. I, right, I'm, yeah. Oh, there's not a damn thing you can do to a spirit to say, hey, 
I got rock salt. If you don't get out of here, I'm going to sprinkle it around. This is what off. it's like. I like salt. That's why I died. Right. Right. Attention. Eating too much fucking salt. Crazy. Give me salt. I love salt. I won't leave. That's funny. This is what I said. This is what they said to do on Supernatural. We should try it. Right. Yeah. We're going to try this now. <laughs> if you use those TV shows as a basis for your comprehension and understanding with the real world and the spirits, you are dust in the wind, man. Yeah, for You're sure. Done. Mm-hmm. I learned it on Supernatural. I learned it on Scooby Doo. I, I think if you learn anything of Scooby Doo, was don't trust humans because they're your <laughs> they are it's your biggest threat. Those are you got to watch out for. A thousand percent. It's a real demon as a ghost. Yeah, right. I've always said that the living are much more dangerous than the dead are. Also, like much. this: more to fear from the living than you do the dead. Yes, I love that. I love that. That's the truth. It is the truth. It is the truth. It is the truth. Like, I'm in the dead club. Do you want to come join us? Come on with us. No, this isn't the U.S. Army of the dead. Yeah. We want you. Exactly. (laughs) It works. So for everybody. They say, say, don't worry. You'll be there in a few years. We're all going to be there because there's an old saying. No one here gets out alive. No one gets out alive. That's very true. No one here gets out alive. We all will perish from our mortal, mortal coil, be it at 100, be it at 50 to 60, whatever the age, it doesn't matter. It's, well, yeah. It matters. I'm saying it's, you, you can't <laughs> escape it. Yeah, and you don't right. get a say in when it's it's coming, and but you don't have a say as to when either. Well, here's there's a lyric from the song anyway. from Boingo Boingo, <laughs> and I think it's, it, it, it says, no one lives forever. Hey. Hmm. And that's the truth. You that is the truth. Yeah, and says to curse and to promote those that have passed as being somehow um, turning into devils or demons and being terrifying and yeah, and terrifying mm-hmm. and rattling chains. Go back to Charles Dickens and read your stick to your book of a Christmas Carol. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's for sure. Mm-hmm. That's what I have to say about that. So. I love it. I agree with that. I think that's wonderful. I think that's a really wonderful spot to end the episode, too. So, guys, listen, if you have not yet, please check out is there we go. Mm-hmm. Ghosts of Cielo Drive, the afterlife shared Tate, and the Spirits Arm of the Omen the, House. The Omen. Yes. And you can get this at ghostofcielodrive.com. Perfect. And sign and inscribe every copy that you get. Well, here's a newer version. <laughs> Ooh, I like it. Like, it oh, nice. To me. Yeah, the pictures are a little different, though. It is a little really, different, yeah. This is, oh, Sharon, no, this is This is Rudolph Valentino. This is Jack Johnson, the first African-American heavyweight boxing champion in the world. And, of course, this is Sharon Tate that graced the cover of my book. Yes. Nice. It's exciting. I can't wait. That's really cool. Um, where can we watch the movie? You have to come out and visit. We will. Movie, mm-hmm. if, you, if anybody out there would like to, get in touch with me. This movie that she's speaking of is looking for a home, either for television or Netflix. Let's get this on the air so people can see it and enjoy this interesting take yes. on the Sharon Tate murders. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Although I am going to be a little apprehensive now about the scene where they broke into the Arcadia door because that's how it actually happened at your house. And I'm going to know that and I'm oh, going to yeah. be like, that's really <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> It's going to be way scarier. Now. Way scarier. <laughs> it's scarier. Like I said, if I make this docu-series, I have to include that clip because 
that's the real door. That's the real location where it all happened. And you actually have actors portraying the Manson group going in and breaking into the house. It would be just riveting to see uh-huh. people see that. That's not a. That's not some other house. That's the actual location. That's the actual sliding glass door. Yeah. And that's where it all took place. It was just when we made that. When I wrote the scene, I was like I remembered saying this is part of my life that I'm putting in this movie. Really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Never know unless I get to, you know, explain that. But it's crazy. And like that's, I said, when you come, out, when you guys come out here, we'll screen the movie for you guys privately here at the nice. house. Great. So, okay. That's perfect. So I'm really excited. I I would really love to come visit you. Yeah. And Laura's still in Phoenix and I'm planning to go back out there in October. So maybe in October, I don't know you, I'm sure your house is probably really busy with people wanting to investigate it in October around Halloween. That doesn't mean I open it up to do that kind of stuff. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, so we'll bring you some ribs. So what? <laughs> what my house it became open house. No. I bet people are because yeah. you know everybody's always wanting to do that veil between the living and the dead is supposedly the thinnest, mm-hmm. and you know let's go and investigate and. <laughs> no such yeah. thing. Um, again, it's, it's BS. Yeah. Do you think the ghosts are like this going? Checking the calendar. October. Oh my God. Oh my dear God. It's the month of October. It's time for us to go out. (laughs) They Uh, they don't have calendars. Those don't have watches going. It's three o'clock in the morning. It's time to party. Right. Witching hour. There we go. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. The veil is thinnest. The veil is thinnest when you take it off your freaking eyes and start to realize there's no such thing as the veil being thin or thicker at different times of the year. I love that. Right. I love that. The, yeah. <laughs> the veil is thinnest when you take it off of your eyes. Does it get more active during the anniversary? And I go, on, did you celebrate the time that you got divorced? I mean, you might, but was it a happy time? <laughs> right. You got a dime? Do you think that's a way to celebrate? Right. Yeah. I don't think people, yeah. I don't think they're active. It's the exact opposite. The place gets more quiet on the actual anniversary. It gets amped up before the anniversary and amped up afterwards like this. But the anniversary generally is pretty mellow. Yeah, that's interesting. What did you expect? They're going to be overjoyed and rejoicing with a party because this is the day that they were killed? That their lives were cut short? Right. Yeah. Yeah, come on. Give me a break. It doesn't work like that. (laughs) Again, rational, applied thought to what you guys think before you ask the question makes more sense than saying, well, yeah. how would I feel if I was a ghost? And it's like, what do you mean? Well, I'm going to die at some point. I'm going to be a ghost too. Why does it matter that I shouldn't apply some rational thought to what would happen if I was in their shoes? And then people go, I don't do that because nobody ever does. That's very true. <laughs> and that's, he's not wrong. He's, he's, <laughs> no, he's not he's wrong at all. Time. Then you go, Jesus Christ. You're right. It's like, yeah makes you feel a hell of a lot different about your position and your thoughts and your questions and what you believed in so long and you apply it against what I did. It's like, no, I wouldn't. I mean, some people say, hell yeah, I would have done that because I'm an asshole and I think I'd be an asshole as a ghost. <laughs> and I go, well, then that's probably the type of the ghost you'll be. And there are right. people, again, I see a ghost is just the remnant of the personality that was once alive. So if you're an asshole when you're alive, you'll probably be a prick when you're dead. Probably. That's true. Doesn't mean that you're a demon, though. <laughs> Just means you're an asshole. Just means you're an exactly. asshole. Exactly. You're an asshole that you're a ghost. So I'm not surprised. Although, That's I don't know. Some point. of my ex boyfriends, I prob- I'm pretty convinced they were close to demons. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, what that makes you? The devil made him do it. Doesn't mean it was literal. <laughs> All right, guys, that is it for this episode of History of a Haunting. David, thank you so much for joining us. Where can folks follow you on social media? <laughs> you can find David on Twitter. I see a my God, my hair is so- <laughs> um, Don't put him on the spot. He's like, uh, I don't know. On Twitter, <laughs> it's the underscore omen, O-M-A-N, one. Um, on Instagram, it's the omen house. On YouTube, it's youtube.com forward slash David Omen. That's the channel. And please subscribe. That's the only thing I'd like is people subscribe. It's free. I have no Patreons. I put on videos every whenever something happens. Literally, when the spirit moves me to do so. Like, <laughs> the footage from last mm-hmm. night was crazy. I haven't had people here in five or six months. And the stuff that happened last night, I was like, this is going to be some good shit to post on YouTube. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to see that. That's super cool. But like I said, I don't, you know, I don't do the uh, Omar Gosh paranormal. I don't sit there and go, oh my, 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 my God, you see it. I don't play the hype story. I just give you the footage and say, here's what happened. Yeah. And you don't ever see me go, oh my God, it's a ghost. Oh my God, it's a ghost. And going, oh, cool, it's a ghost. Yeah. I do appreciate the fact that you don't scream every two seconds when you, something happens. That yeah. stuff drives me bananas. Yeah. For sure, right? And then what do we get if to anything happens, when yell, I choose to get the dogs. <laughs> right? Any yeah. of the experiences that I've had, I'm we get excited. We're not unhappy. A lot like what you said, like um, we're kind of leaning into it. Like, oh my god, did, you know what? What? What like, was that? Did you hear that? Yeah, let's go right, find out where that came out. from. Like, mm-hmm. oh man, I can't wait to look and see what see what comes up on the footage for that. Um, exactly. Yeah, we're not running. It's not scary. It's not. It's, it's fascinating. Not, you don't to have to be afraid. And remember, I live alone for the most part. I have mm-hmm. friends that come into town from out of town to stay here and stuff. But for the most part, I have to deal with it myself. And yeah. I got three mm-hmm. floors to deal with it on. So it's like <laughs> when something happens. I go, all right, I heard that. I got to go, oh, look what happened on the third floor. Wow, that's crazy stuff. I don't believe that. And that's the luxury of having the cameras is I can review stuff, yeah. watch mm-hmm. and see and Cats go missing. I can track them down and find out where they are. Handy. But when I've lost a set of keys, it's like, all right, get the system. Let's find the rise in this room. Ah, oh, there it is. I, was, mm-hmm. I know it. And I just click since like, I remember I left it. That actually sounds so, really handy, actually. Right? <laughs> in more ways than people That's, think. Right? Like, yeah. I just play stuff. I find it really quick. I love it. Oh, that's right. I put it in that drawer. There it is. Perfect. (laughs) Love it. Okay, so he's on Twitter. He's on Instagram. He is on YouTube. I'm not on TikTok. I'm on YouTube. I'm Facebook, but I really don't take any more friends on Facebook because I'm I'm just disengaging a lot with Facebook. To me, it's a lot of folks are. Yeah, yeah, a lot of folks it's, are. It's, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, contribute to the Mark Zuckerberg fund. Let's say. Oh yeah, um, for sure, for sure. Laura, why don't you. you tell everybody where they can follow us? <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, all as well at Hoh Podcast, and on the TikTok at Hoh Podcast at Hoh Carrie and at Hoh Co-host Laura. Yay. Woo. <laughs> All right, guys, that's it. David, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. I know you and I have been trying to get you on the show and, and work it out for 
two years. And like I said, when we had talked, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I had never interviewed anybody. And I was like, real green. No idea. Um, but I'm so glad that um, you were able to be on the show this week. Um, we will probably be dropping this uh, Saturday, the 5th, March 5th already. Yeah. It's already March. Up. Yeesh. Okay. So, yes, yeah, in a week. Right. Yeah. Right. So anyway, guys, thank you so much for tuning in again, David. You have been really wonderful. I'm anxious to rewatch the video to see the light, the shadow anomalies that were happening. Yeah, they have ceased. Yeah, they have Uh stopped. Well, yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, guys, as we always get out of the uh, they're on to us. All right, we're done. Forget it. Right. That's what you're saying. It's ceased. It has totally ceased. Yeah. Since we uh-huh. called now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it has. 100%. Now it'll start happening. It'll go all black. Right. <laughs> but now. As we say like, yeah, here. You, David, we know what you're up to. You think you're so smart. <laughs> well, we're smarter than you. It's like, yeah, you're dead. You obviously outlived me. So I guess you're right. You're smarter than I am. Right. <laughs> And this is actually perfect timing because as we say here at the end of every episode of History of a Haunting, stay safe out there because you never know who or what is listening. And obviously, (laughs) David's home and his friendly spirits are proof of that. Bye, guys. We will see you next week. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks again, girls. Pleasure. Thank you, David.